fluctuating electric quantity. K-U-S-O. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. to you. It is one minute and 15 seconds after the hour of five, and this is the month of July, the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101, KUFO in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to engage with us uh, telephonically, it's so easy that a child could do it. It is uh, 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. Oh, one for your comments, questions, clarifications, comments, ruminations, ponderings, musings, haiku, limerick, whatever it is you might have on this Monday morning. It's 503-228-4101. You can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at KUFO.com. Nibbler, N-I-B-L-E-R at uh, KUFO.com. Or is it Adam at KUFO.com? Excellent. 80 a.m. Adam at KUFO.com. We are sans Tim Riley uh, today. Is being plagued by the same. What was it? Your deal, Sarah, was like some asthmatic thing. Cause it's not like a cold. It's like a yeah, like a respiratory I deal. I didn't feel sick. My voice just completely disappeared. And that was Tim's thing too. So I was getting this series of. It was like stock ticker updates all day yesterday from Tim. Voice kind of scratchy. You know, we'll play through pain. We'll show up, do news as expected, and then later on it was, we'll be in Monday. We'll do headlines. Probably won't banter a whole lot. And then at eight o'clock, things going badly. Don't know if can speak. And then, uh, and then I think it was at around eight forty-five. Let's just get the will not be in at all, Tim. So Tim will uh, Tim will not be in at all today. Uh, ideally, returning. Some problem over there? No, I have a bunch of bug bites on my leg. Sexy. It's very sexy. All right then. So Sarah's covered in bites. Tim can't speak. I myself am simply retarded. Uh, it's 503-228-4101. Uh, here's what's coming up today. We'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum today, joining us from New York City. Uh, also from Los Angeles, CNN Radio correspondent James Ruper. I think the fighting over Jackson's corpse is, I mean, not actually over the, it might be over the actual corpse. Yeah, but the fighting over Jackson's estate, I think, has officially begun in earnest, so that's very exciting. Let's see what else. Uh, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Speaking of fighting in earnest, uh, she'll talk to us about that uh, Supreme Court nominee, who I completely forgot about, what with all the Jackson death and all. Uh, so I guess it's going to be some big, like, blood fight over that. So uh, we can all sort of uh, lay in a supply of popcorn and prepare to watch that uh, as it unfolds on our uh, televisions. Let's see what else. I've got the best news audio you've ever heard in your life, and it's um, sports-related, sort of. So I pulled this this morning, so I can get it queued up. We probably won't do that just here, but I want to make sure I have it. This audio of the guy... I want to say he was a San Diego Padres baseball player, but I don't think he ever actually played a game. I think the deal is that he was the first-round draft pick, and he got like $3 million, and then he never actually played. So, But none of that matters. What matters is that the cops tased him and hogtied him and threw him into the back of a squad car, I think, on Saturday, Friday, something like that, for DUI, and he squealed like a little girl. And, 
And then once they had him down on the ground, it was appropriate that he was hogtied because he just because he shrieked like a pig in hot oil. So unbelievably satisfying. So we'll uh, we'll get to that. Let's see what else. Oh, and a uh, big concert announcement coming up today, seven a.m. Today at seven a.m. a major concert announcement. So you want to be listening for that. God, what else? Well, there's a, probably a ton of other. The Christy Turnquist and the Oregonian will be here, and then. Here's a phrase you don't think you're going to be using very much in your life. So, Saturday I was at the uh, America's Next Top Model tryouts, helping to crush the dreams of dozens. So, I have been waiting for this audio all weekend It's long. so great. Uh, so, I spent this morning... I have several things. I have notes from the America's Next Top Model. And by the way, it's just... It don't When I say that I spent part of Saturday at the America's Next Top Model thing, it makes it sound like I was just there sort of hanging out like... Like I was some sort of raincoater, uh, just sort of lurking off in the periphery, like in the shrubs, you know, sort of, you know, I like it when they're short. Um, and it, it really wasn't that. I um, So I was there because America's Next Top Model airs on uh, Northwest 32 TV, uh, alias the CW. And, and they're the network that brings you such fine programming as Outlook Portland, starring me, Rick Emerson. So I was there Saturday kind of lending a hand. And as surreal... As I thought it was going to be. And I mean, it's surreal enough that I'm there helping to coordinate the America's Next Top Model auditions. I mean, that's a thing you don't really ever anticipate yourself doing. So as strange as I thought it was going to be, it was like five times uh, as weird in the actual execution of it. So I've got a whole bunch of notes uh, from that this weekend. And then I've got a bunch of sound from some of uh, some of the aspirants uh, that I interviewed uh, before and after their auditions. So that's great. Let's see what else. I think th- th- I mean that may be enough to sort of to sort of start with today. There's a whole bunch, except to say that one of the uh, auditioners is going to be joining us in the studio today. There's going to be a young lady named uh, Boy, and I've re- can I just say this, Greg? We're look, we speak as men. Indeed, uh, you. Uh, Greg is an old married guy, not unlike myself. So you know what I'm saying when I say this. And I don't know if it happens for for uh, chicks as well. So uh, there may be some equivalent that Sarah deals with. But I've reached that age where I can no longer tell how old anybody is. And, I always get confused by that. See, and that's, and sometimes, and it's usually it's just like with sort of smaller kids. Like somebody will say, "Well, you know, I've got a fifth grader," or they'll say, "Oh, you know, my my son, he's just entering kindergarten," and I've completely forgot what age any of that stuff happens at. Or they'll say, "You know, well, my nine year old is going back to school," and in your head you're trying to go, "What? Like, what grade is that?" And I guess it's like fourth grade or something. But you, because like once you once you're not going to school, you have no need for that information anymore, and so it just falls out of your head. But it's the same thing. Like, when you meet um, people, and in this case, when you meet, uh, because there's just all of these uh, girls who came down for the America's Next Top Model thing, and they all look simultaneously younger and older than they are. Because, on the one hand, I'm like 50, so uh, they, you, you know, they all look like they're about 12 years old. But at the same time, they're all models, or they're trying to be models, so they all look like, like disproportionately old. So... It just becomes this... Anyway, so the, the point is it, that we're going to have this uh, woman named Caitlin come in who I thought was far, far older than she apparently is. It's um, it's all very awkward. So she's over 18, though, so it doesn't matter. Wait, she's far, far older? You're making it sound bad. Or far, far younger, rather, than I thought she was. Okay, um, you just said far, far older. Far, far younger. I thought she was far, okay. far older. Anyway, so she'll be in later on uh, later on today because it, I kind of conducted this kind of post-audition interview with her and... It was fantastic. I have some audio from it. It was just, it was gold. So I asked her if she could come in uh, today. Yeah, no, I, but I talked to her, and the thing is, the model, and they're all like 10 feet tall. That's the other deal. Because this season, I guess, for America's Next Top Model, it's 5'7 and above. 
Like you've got to be, you know, like an Amazonian to compete at all, and that makes it even harder to figure out anybody's age. So I'm sort of talking like this particular woman. I'm talking to her afterward, and I don't know how old I thought she was, um, but uh, so I, you know, she sends me like you know, here's here's my email address or whatever, and so uh, I'm sending her an email last night, and. I'm figuring, you know, and I didn't hear back, and I thought, well, okay, I want to make sure she's still coming in. So I type in, and now it just sounds like I'm stalking, but but, but I, I, type, really in, I yes. type in her name, and it's like her Facebook page or whatever comes up, or her MySpace page, and it's like, is 19? And I thought, oh, wow, God, because I thought she was like 26, so it's all very, very strange. And then you just feel so old and lame, because you realize you are just so far removed from that time in your life that there is no hope of identifying anybody's age. And it is, I would imagine, the same way with some of the guys that you are attracted to. Because the guys that you're into all have that kind of youngish, sort of very slender look mm-hmm. that is not typically found in, let's say, your average 30 or 40-something guy. So the guys that you are attracted to always seem like they're about 22. The guys I'm attracted to wear lady pants. That's Let's just... Yeah, why don't we, why don't we get that out there, there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. And they're, they're like half my size, usually. Uh, all right. How was your weekend, Sarah Dillon? It was very, very fun. I had a great weekend. I spent a lot of time in the sun and, I don't know, went to shows and went for bike rides and went to parties and had a really good time. Excellent. All right. Greg yeah. Nibbler, how was your weekend? Satisfying? I, it, was, it was quite satisfying, yes. I, was, uh, I, I worked done. quite a bit, yes. I uh, worked quite a bit, but I did uh, enjoy the weekend. I, he has I like a smooth lover man voice today. Are you Seriously. Right? Okay, Mr. Mr. Taciturn. All right. Well, hey, everyone. We're doing great here this morning. Please don't do that. Uh, we should probably uh, take a break here. So when we come back, we will talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum from New York City. Uh, Greg Nibbler is here filling in for Tim Riley. Adam Thompson here filling in for Greg Nibbler. Sarah and I remain the same and dull, except for Sarah, who is covered in insect bites today. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, we have Steve Kastenbaum, who will join us at 520, coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Uh, coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, Christy Turnquist from the Oregonian. And later on, we'll play this uh, audio uh, from the... Uh, for the baseball player who was hogtied. It's awesome. Stay there. We're live in Portland. Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Pick up the phone and call. Let everybody know that there are little cats out there. They probably call us. I'm going to make a fing accident. You hear me? 503 228 This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. All right, then. Good morning to you. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. It's 503-228-4101. Coming up uh, next hour, about the CNN Radio correspondent, James Roop, uh, about the uh, latest uh, turn to the Michael Jackson case. Uh, coming up at 7 o'clock, Christy Turnquist from the Oregonian. The 8 o'clock hour, Bob Costantini. Uh, major concert announcement coming up today at 7 a.m. And also today, we're giving away a copy of Reno 911, the complete sixth season on Censored on DVD. It's all very exciting. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Good morning to you, sir. Oh, I guess it would help if I actually picked up the phone. All right. And let's try that again. Good morning, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello. How are you? Oh, man. You know, it's not a good start to your week when you walk in and you find out that the company changed vendors and you've got a different coffee machine in your break room. Oh, is uh, is there some belt tightening happening at uh, at CNN that we're not uh, we're not aware of? 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, we have an outside contractor does the catering in the building, and so uh, all of a sudden, um, without warning, maybe I didn't get the email, but there's a different brand of coffee in the uh, and, and you know one of those single cup coffee machines. They change the. Uh, the vendors. You have so, a single cup coffee? Does it come out in a whimsical uh, paper cup that has a poker hand on the side of it? <laughs> no, but it's one of those machines where you you know you, you put in the well. We used to have the one where you put in the little cup, uh, the single serving cup, and it brews one cup. Now we've got one that you put in a little packet, and it's a different brand company. Wait a minute, hold on a second, Sarah. Are you familiar with a coffee machine? I mean, I know that they probably exist, but have you ever worked in a place where they had a single serving coffee uh, cup? Thing. All right. So now that's. Uh, no, I've the, just worked with all like what we have. It's the big crafts. I mean, is, is this is this because of the theory is that it uh, is that it, it's like a waste not want not kind of a thing? It's it's that's part of it. But when you have the carafe in a large office, you know nobody's ever really you know take takes charge of the carafe and like coffee can sit and cook on the uh, on the hot plate for hours and then become mud. Dude, I have I have the best answer to this, and this is the thing I've been proposing for the longest time. Do you want to know if you have some venture capital you're not like doing anything with, or you win the Powerball or something tomorrow? Here's something you can invent and sell, and this would move by the by the gross. You'd be able to unload these because here's the thing with coffee. A, a when you get the single serving coffee cup thing at, at, at CNN, is it from a concentrate? In other words, a lot of those coffee machines that do single servings, it's from this highly uh, distilled coffee syrup, essentially, that it then sprays. Why do I know this? That it then sprays into a mixture and mist of hot water into your cup. Is that is that your deal? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I, in the, uh, the the previous one, it was a little cup, and I actually got curious, so I, I opened it up and found that it really was, you know. Uh, um, ground coffee. You know, it was real uh, you know, beans that have been gra- uh, ground up. But I don't know what this new one is. Well, so we've all gone to the diner or more typically the, the bar, because I'm usually the, the only guy in a bar that is ordering coffee because I'm lame. And it's that same pot of just sludgy uh, crap that has been sitting there all day long and it turns into some sort of a weird coffee-flavored jello. Here's what somebody needs to do, though, with that office uh, carafe where you like you brew the coffee directly into the craft, you close the lid, and it's got that weird vacuum uh, pump thing where you press down the uh, you know the middle of the lid and it sprays the coffee out. But then you go to get it and you think that it's new and really it comes out and it's tepid or it's just flat cold. They need to make carafes for the office to contain coffee, and then on the side they have a little dial that lets you note when the coffee was made. And you could, I mean, it's all it would be is like one, it'd be, it would look like the odometer in a car, and it would just have a little thumb wheel, and it would just be like 1 through 12, and then a, a next to it a thumb wheel that said AM or PM. And you just sort of go 2 AM. Then that is, somebody comes up, they look at it, and they know when the coffee was made. You're still relying on on one of your coworkers, uh, you know, being good at doing this, you know, and, and, and let, let's be honest, most of our coworkers, you know, yeah, aren't that good. Well, what you're saying is that anything that relies upon fundamental human decency is destined to failure. Exactly. You right. put it in the words that I could not find. Hey, speaking of the lack of fundamental human decency, so what is the deal with this uh, this swim club in Philadelphia? Is this this isn't the is this or is this not the same story that has been all over the internet for the last week about there was a, a swimming pool or a swimming club where there were a bunch of um, black children that were there that were told to leave or they got kicked out because it was, quote, changing the complexion of the club. Yeah, and, and some of these kids, we had uh, CNN Susan Candiotti down uh, in this uh, Philadelphia suburban area where the, uh, the kids um, were part of a, a group of a few dozen from this uh, inner city day camp where they paid uh, a fee for the right to use the pool 
And some of the kids alleged that they heard um, some of the club members using racist uh, terms when describing them, saying things like, what are these black children doing here, making uh, sort of remarks that implied that their own kids wouldn't be safe. And then uh, the next day, the, the, the camp was uh, given their check back and said, look, we're sorry, we can't have you here. And, uh, and it was really interesting because we had some video of like some really just incredible kids, and one of them was just crying when he described the remarks that he heard. Well, now all of a sudden the pool's director has said it wasn't about racism. You know, there may have been some members who might have said some things. We're not sure, but it was always about safety, and uh, we overestimated how many children we can handle. And there were two other camps that were not minority, uh, majority, uh, you know, the majority of kids weren't minorities. They were also told that we couldn't have them here because there was just too many kids. And now they've extended an olive branch and said, come on back. We'll have you back at the pool. Uh, all right. You would think that in, in 2009, I mean, whatever the truth uh, of this story is, and it sounds like maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of this is just never going to be known. You would think in 2009 we would be past any sort of uh, dispute about who gets to use a pool where uh, and, and why. You would think that we would have, uh, you know, just sort of, sort of all moved past that as a country, but, but apparently not. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, speaking of tolerance, did you happen to see Bruno this weekend? I did not. Was it good? Wow, it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I uh, I, I wasn't quite sure. I, I re- not that I resisted going to see it. I kind of I, I mean I knew that I would see it because it was obviously it was going to be the big deal, and I was a huge fan of. Uh, I was not such so much a fan of Ali G, but I was a fan of Borat, and I was uh, I was hesitant uh, in some ways to see it because I because I, I heard that it wasn't really going to live up to the Borat thing. I uh, I was afraid that it was just going to be kind of exhausting the joke. And I would say that it is, no pun intended, sort of a weak sister to Borat in some ways. But I've, but damn, man, there are some sequences that are as good as anything that guy has ever done. There's, there is a sequence that I, I won't describe in depth here toward the end of the film that is just stunning. It's one of the, it is one of the most perfect sequences that he has ever filmed, Sasha Baron Cohen. It is, it is astounding and it's terrifying and hilarious and sort of awful and great all at once. So, the, the, really. What's good about the film is infinitely uh, better than what's bad about the film. You know, uh, the Borat movie, I can never watch it all the way through because I get so uncomfortable (laughs) watching some of the scenes that I actually have to stop watching. Like, it, it makes me feel I'm squirming in my seat so much. That I, uh, that I I feel the uh, the awkwardness that the the person he's with is feeling, and I just can't. I have to turn it off. Well, if awkwardness is not your deal, then perhaps Bruno is not for you. Um, uh, how else do I put this? There is a there is a uh, we'll call it a sexually charged sequence that happens about halfway through, and it's one of those things where the joke starts, the joke continues. You think the joke must be over. You think the joke has to be over. You think he can't continue. And then improbably he continues unabated for like another 90 seconds. And you cannot believe what you are watching. I, it, well, so, yeah, if you don't want to be made, if you're not into, the, if you're not into wince-inducing comedy, if you don't like to cringe until you laugh, 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 then uh, maybe you should skip this uh, film. Okay. Just a little word of advice. I did like Ali G. That was, a, that was a pretty funny movie. See, and that was actually the one that I, that was the one that I had difficulty watching because I felt so bad for everybody that he was ambushing. I remember watching Pat Buchanan, of all people, just sitting there being interviewed by this faux rapper and just thinking to myself, ah, Pat Buchanan, you're, you're being made the object of fun and you don't even know it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, it, Ron Paul does come off looking like, a, uh, like an ass, though, so you got that going for you. All right. Okay. All right, have a good day, my friend.
Take care. All right, there you go. That is CNN uh, Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, Greg Nibbler, filling in for Tim Riley. How are you today? Hello, sir. I am doing well, sitting in the magnanimous chair of Mr. Tim Riley. It's a little intimidating. I, I uh, those are, uh, you know, they're big shoes to fill, figuratively big shoes to fill. <laughs> I, uh, not I so much think he's going to walk in and stand behind me and smack me on the head. And I demand that you leave, yes. <laughs> you young ruffian. Who told you that? Well, you know, and the, th- the thing about Tim is, like, Tim just, th- Tim, again, figuratively looms just so large that I didn't, when he uh, when he was telling me yesterday he wasn't going to be in, he's like, oh, my voice is completely gone. I don't think I'll be able to make it in. And I had that thing of like, and plus there was, you know, all of the unpleasantness at the end of 2008. And so I uh, I emailed back and I said, so, you know, Sarah and I could just handle the show by ourselves, I suppose. And uh, we'll just kind of do the news. And he emailed back. He's like, no, 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 you should see if someone can fill in. I was like, ah, oh, okay, we'll see if somebody can fill in. But I just... It was the thing I just, you know, you just felt like such a, I felt like such a jerk even thinking of proposing it. And then he said, you should see if someone could uh, fill in for me tomorrow. That would be great. Why? So. If he's sick, that's okay. Because no one can fill in for Tim Riley. No offense, Greg. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's no. just, a, it's a, but as I'm saying, it's a huge, you know, it's a, it's a large shadow in which to one stand. It, um, it is not every man that can come in here and sit in that chair and put on his game face. And I should have known that you would be the man who could do that. But it's of course, a, Nibbler can. it's a tall order. It's a, it's a, you know, it, it is not for the faint of heart. Absolutely. What yes. uh, headlines are we following today? All right. Well, here's here's what we have here for local news. So uh, Clackamas County Sheriff's Office is searching for three teenage boys who went missing on Sunday evening. A shooting from Saturday night is being investigated as gang-related by police. And 40 horses were seized, and a woman was taken into custody for 70 counts of animal neglect on Saturday. All uplifting news from the Portland area. It's like Tim never left. All right. <laughs> uh, well, let's do this. We'll come back. We have news with uh, Greg Nibbler and for Tim Riley today. Later on uh, in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop from Los Angeles. And uh, we have a major concert announcement coming up today at 7 a.m. You want to be listening for that. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is Monday morning. Stay right there, won't you please? This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Don't miss a moment of the Rick Emerson Show. Or you'll be filled with desperate, miserable shame. Listen online. Live or via podcast at KUFO.com. Beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into whimsy. Thank you for joining us today. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101, ladies and gentlefolk. Uh, coming up next hour, senior radio correspondent James Roop will join us from Los Angeles uh, in the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the America's Next Top Model thing uh, that happened Which on... I'm so jealous about. Well, Sarah, I mean, of all of us. If someone on the show is going to sit in judgment on the looks of others, it really ought to be me. Oh, I, uh, yeah, sure. But with my keen fashion sense at all. Uh-huh. No, d- look, and let's have no illusions about this. It was not lost on me that uh, of all the people associated with this program, I'm the one person who probably shouldn't have been there. Um, oh, and I tell you, did I tell you this on the phone that I got to uh, that I got to turn people away? I mean, I had to turn people away. I didn't enjoy it. Oh my God, you're awful. <laughs> you had to turn them away. Like why? Well, because. Um, well, we'll talk more about this, but I. But when you when you come in to, to audition uh, for America's Next Top Model, which happened uh, Saturday, it was at Cedar Hills uh, Crossing. So I'm there, and one of the first things that happens is when people come in, they have to stand. Because this season, the upcoming season, which I guess, and they don't call them seasons anymore. When did this stop? It, they're no longer seasons, they're cycles. 
because mm-hmm. this is psych, and everybody knows that that term. It's like uh, everybody knows the lingo. So it's America's Next Top Model Cycle 14. And I don't know if that's just for the show or well, if it's, it's not once a year anymore. Like she cranks those out like uh, two or three times. That's a year. the thing because I and I actually said at one point I go so this year's uh, you know program is going to be like what's the gimmick? Because I think last year I think it was all girls under five. Last cycle it was all girls mm-hmm. under five seven or under five something. Um, and and they said no 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 you know this cycle it's all going to be girls over five seven. So I guess they must do two or three of those a year. I guess reality shows are easy to crank out, though. I mean, in some ways, because you just you don't have to write anything. You just sort of, you know, it's all in the editing. Yeah, all this is a bunch of, you know, girls screaming at each other. For oh, hour. man. Uh, so, and I didn't see uh, a lot of screaming on Saturday, but there was a lot of uh, arguing and a lot of pouting. Uh, and did you a, see tears? Yes, I did. I caused <laughs> tears, actually. Uh, I don't say that with, I say it with some pride, just a little bit. So when you, when the girls came to the America's Next Top Model thing on um, Saturday, this upcoming cycle of the show is all five seven and above and that's why i was second uh, making that comment earlier about it. it was so hard to tell how old anybody was um i thought everybody uh was way way older than they than they apparently were because i think the cutoff age was 27 i think it was 18 to 27 i am officially too old to um audition for america's next top model okay i actually thought about that that's the <laughs> weird thing i was looking at the at the the, you know, the sort of criteria and it said you know to audition for this you know it's like you got to be this high to ride this ride thing it's like you got to be five seven or above you must be between. It must be between the ages of eighteen and twenty-seven. So that was the only saving grace. By the way, is it became impossible to tell how old any of the girls were, but you knew they were all over eighteen. So I mean, you didn't have to. Like that was something you didn't have to worry about. You didn't have to worry about. You're a fine-looking little lady. How old are you? Five. You know, and then you're just gonna. <laughs> oh, I have to go kill myself. Um, Why would you go to five? That's just wrong. Because it's absurd. Because it's so <laughs> absurd that it, it's not creepy. But I was looking at the the sort of rules, and it said you know eighteen to twenty-seven, and I thought. Sarah Dillon is too old to be on America's Next Top Model. It is a sad day. Yeah, but here's the, here's the upside. You know how to read and you know how to follow uh, instructions. Which, I'm not going to let Tyra Banks like verbally slap me around. You have no idea how many people are waiting to be the, the, the verbally and or physically slapped around by Tyra Banks. I guess that's kind of a Tyra Banks-Naomi Campbell uh, double shot there. But probably 30% of the women who showed up for the audition did not complete something that they were told repeatedly was required to actually be there for the tryout. So we'll talk. So that's why you got and, to turn them. And away. so I got to say, oh, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go home and cry yourself to sleep. Thank you. Next. Um. So just let's put a pin in that. We will revisit that issue here in uh, just a bit at the news desk, ladies and gentlemen. Filling in for Tim Riley, it's Greg Nibbler. In the news with Tim Riley. All right. Animals were seized and a woman was arrested for neglect. Uh, Forty horses were seized and a woman was taken into custody for 70 counts of animal neglect on Saturday. She was taken into custody after officials realized she hid animals from them after they searched her home about reports of possible animal... uh, Where was this at? Uh, This was in Salem. Okay, so this isn't the crazy bunny... No, it's not the bunny woman. Uh, Besides the horses, so they took the 40 horses. She had 12 dogs, 5 cats, 4 goats, and 2 parrots taken into custody by the Willamette Humane Society. You would think at some point the animals would all get together sort of Orwell style and decide to turn on her. I mean, look, look, you're not feeding an animal uh, long enough. That's one thing. You're not feeding 15 animals long enough. Eventually, it seems like they're all going to sort of put their heads together and decide just, uh, you know, that problem fixes itself at some point. 
So the so the I mean, are the animals? Uh, I don't even want to ask this. I was going to ask if they're going to be uh, they're going to be all right. But you know, I'm going to ask, and then you're going to say no. You're going to say no. They all had to be destroyed, and then it's just going to put a black cloud over my day. No, actually, they are. It says they are being taken care of by volunteers. All right, she ought to be taken care of by volunteers. If you know what I mean. I just wonder where you would hide forty horses. I yeah, that's... <laughs> like that's that's what I don't understand. That's Twelve not just dogs, a couple of them. <laughs> five cats, four goats, and two. Where do you, where do you stuff these things? That that's a good question. I. I'd never really thought about it. Greg Nibbler, that's uh, the sort of journalistic eye that you bring to this endeavor today. I'd never really uh, pondered that part of the story. Where does one stick 40 horses? Well, I mean, unless she just had, like... Multiple barns? Well, I was going to say barn, but they'd look there. And I was going to say just like a lot of acreage. But that, but that, but then you'd see them if they're, like they're out there on the plains or something. This is like a herd of animals. It's not just, that yeah, doesn't make any sense. And plus, how would you? All those things make noise too. I mean, especially parrots, right? I mean, they're not. You know, that's sort of a. Was kind she of just a thing. hiding the horses? Or was she hiding all the animals? No, I'll, all of the animals were were hidden. Apparently, I, I guess it's they like found some of them. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is this like some sort of a Manson deal where they had like a panel, like a T2, where they had a panel in the ground and there's like a bunker underneath the earth that they're all sort of living in, waiting for the rapture? All right. Well, uh, so is she going to go to jail and be beaten savagely? Because if uh, so, that would be wrong, and we should stop it. Well, she is in custody, All so right. yeah. we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, a uh, rocking car leads to meth instruments. A rocking car from a couple inside having sex led police in Texas to a drug-related bust. Meth instruments? Yes. Uh, apparently, this was in Texas, actually. This is Bexar County. Sheriff's officials, officials responded to a suspicious car parked near a San Antonio residence and found the couple engaged in sex. However, they also said engaged in sex. the uh, vehicle was loaded with crystal meth chemicals and equipment. Fantastic. And promptly taken into custody. Well, sometimes love can't wait. I, you know, you're busy carrying loads of peroxide into the house, but suddenly, uh, you know, just the... Uh... Hey, speaking of which, is anybody watching Breaking Bad or is that just me? Just you. I want to watch it. I haven't watched it yet, though. Adam, Adam doesn't even own a TV. Adam, do you own a television? All right. Okay, you watching season one? You just started season one. All right. <laughs> I can't. He's through glass. I can't read his. I can't read his lips. And it's, and, it's like pitch black in there too. And, and by the way, Adam earlier was saying um, I don't like to use computers, so I'm gonna I write guess everything down on a piece of paper. <laughs> right. All the show logs are being kept by hand uh, today. You watched but season one, but not season two. All right. Thank you. And but he's doing us a favor today. He's half asleep. He's been up all night. He's uh, he's a game day player. He's playing through the pain. So um, the thing about it, when you watch Breaking Bad. You start because the deal is that he's a high school science teacher. He's a chemistry teacher who finds out that he's got terminal cancer, no insurance or, you know, what insufficient insurance. His family's not going to be taken care of. And he's a total nebbish, as Woody Allen would say. He's just a very boring, bland, suburban guy, a beta male. But he realizes terminal cancer, family's not going to be taken care of. I only got a few, uh, you know, X amount of time to live. I'll just become a meth dealer. And so he figures that it, because he's a science teacher, he can make high-quality meth, and it turns out that he makes, like, the best meth that anybody has ever had in their life. And so then he finds himself sort of living this weird dual uh, reality where he's a science teacher during the day, and then he's, like, busy dealing meth, uh, you know, you know, in his alter life with this sort of idiot sidekick of his that is always, that is always causing trouble. It's a great show, though, in that like, you start out uh, sort of thinking to yourself, by God, I ought to do that. Because you realize that the average drug dealer is just so freaking stupid that it's like the bar is set so low to exceed in that field. 
because everybody it's not like there's like I have no you know the drugs ought to be ought to be legal I have no, you know drug prohibition is a dumb idea it doesn't matter to me if anybody gets high but because they're illegal there's certain people like 90% of them who will just never pursue it as a career so the only people who end up pursuing drug dealing as a career are people who don't care about the fact that they might be you know be sent to a uh, a what's what they call it? a um a PMITA uh, prison mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. So you just end up getting just like the, the the bottom rung of the evolutionary ladder, and you think to yourself, I could completely sell drugs, and I'd be much better at it than all of these people. But then about the third, fourth episode in, they really do a good job of, of sort of disabusing you of that notion because it all just goes so wrong. And when you watch that show, you just feel like you're covered in grit at the end. You just feel like you, it's like being caught in, a, in some sort of a windstorm where there's a lot of dust in the air. And you come back inside, there's sand in your teeth and your eyes. That's what you feel like after watching Breaking Bad. It's a great, great show. It really is amazing. But you just your soul is just so blackened and just tarnished at the end of it. Let's do one more here, and then we'll get caught up. All right. Well, uh, Clackamas County sheriffs are searching for three teenage boys who disappeared on Sunday evening in the Timothy Lake area. The 14, 15, and 16-year-old boys were bicycling away from Gone Creek Campground around 8.30 p.m. Oh, by the way, I would like to point out that uh, I apparently am a failure as a morning show host. As somebody pointed out, hey, morning guy, you missed the don't meth with Texas joke. Wow. It's not me. It's the... The audience, baby. They uh, they do it. They drag me down to their level. I can't help it. All right. Coming up next hour, CNN Radio correspondent Steve, uh, I'm sorry, Jim Roop will join us from Los Angeles. We'll have more news with Greg Nibbler, who's filling in for Tim Riley today. We'll talk more America's Next Top Model tryouts, and I'll tell you how I made all the young girls cry. Stay there. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO Portland. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us. Here's a headline you don't see every day. Exclusive. Terrorist leader threatens to sue Bruno film. All right, so this is the, uh, let's see. This is a terrorist leader interviewed in the just-released hit movie Bruno is, quote, fuming mad. Uh, saying the movie star Sasha Baron Cohen conducted the interview under false pretenses. You would think that that just sort of goes without saying at this uh, at this juncture. So there's a sequence in uh, Bruno, which... Did anybody uh, see that? Am I... No, you saw I Love You, no, Man. No, I saw I Love You, Man uh, at where the was Laurel Hurst Theater. Oh, I was going to ask where that was playing. Is it, it good? It was so funny. I liked it better than The Hangover. Which I have, I have not seen. Yeah, I, a lot of my friends love The Hangover. Uh, the Hangover left me kind of wanting more. Of the movie, and I thought I Love You, Man was hilarious. I laughed throughout the entire thing. That Paul Rudd guy is really funny. Paul Rudd is genius, and and the two of them together, they played uh, really well off of each other. Uh, and you know the uh, the and that's it's Paul Rudd and what's his name? It was Nick from Freaks and Geeks. I can yeah. never remember that guy's name. And it totally there's a Freaks and Geeks like flashback moment where they're in a garage like playing instruments and stuff, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh awesome. my god, this is exactly like Freaks and Geeks. Uh, I you know Paddock got me uh, on uh, on DVD. He got me the special edition of um, Role Models. Which is, I mean, that's a, and that's a fine film. I have to tell you, that's a, that really is a little slice of sublime comedy gold uh, right there, that movie. But uh, when I went to see Bruno uh, yesterday, actually, with, I think it's like Chris Paddock and I are riding a tandem bicycle around town and then getting uh, malted together. So Paddock and I actually went to see Bruno yesterday. And he was uh, sitting next to me, we were talking about something or other. And then the trailers come up, and one of the trailers was for the new, uh, the, uh, new Judd Apatow film, which looks fantastic. 
Um, but that Paul Rudd, he is like, I, I think he was the guy I was describing as being sort of like a, uh, he's the guy that played Ben Affleck in the movie of Ben Affleck's life. Mm-hmm. Like when they make when they make the Ben Affleck story, when he, uh, you know, when something tragic happens to him at some point, I mean, something else that's tragic, they won't get Ben Affleck to play himself. They'll have that guy do it because he's sort of like a more polished, presentable version of that guy. Just like Ryan Reynolds is a more polished, presentable version of Jason Lee. So it's like in uh, it's like in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back where they have like uh, they have like James Vanderbeek and like what's his guts from Dawson's Creek in playing Jay and Silent Bob, they'll have Ryan Reynolds and Paul Rudd play Jason Lee and uh, and Ben Affleck. Anyway, so I'm watching Bruno, and there's this sequence where he interviews a guy who is purportedly a terrorist leader allied with, uh, if not a member of Al Qaeda. It's unclear about whether he's actually an Al Qaeda member, but he certainly is. But he's a guy who is aligned with Al-Qaeda, and they know that he's retired, but that also he did spend a lot of time sort of blowing people up and killing folks. And there's this sequence, one of the moments where you feel a little uncomfortable, but then you start to think to yourself, well, is this staged? Because there are moments in the film that are really, really good, but they're only good if they're real. And Mm -hmm. if you were to find out later that they weren't real, it sort of deflates everything. Uh, You know, it deflates the comedy value. But he's interviewing this terrorist leader, and he's talking about Osama bin Laden, and he says, you know, and he's like weird, sort of gay Austrian accent. He says, um, he says the thing about your leader is he looks like some sort of a dirty wizard or a, a homeless Santa Claus. And then they just show the terrorist guy just sitting there, and he's just, and it's just that's that like look. like a dirty wizard? Yeah, and he's referring to Osama bin Laden, and then they cut to the Al-Qaeda guy who's sitting there, and it's just that look. The look that you sort of, it's the look that you saw on Stalin's face, just that look of, I don't even know whether to be bothered with having you killed, which I could do right now with no effort at all. I could have you and everyone you know burned and put into a hole somewhere. Should I do it? Perhaps not. Perhaps I would let you live. But he's so completely unamused. And then, and then, what's his name? You know, Bruno, uh, Sasha Cohen opens his mouth to ask another question, and immediately the guy's handlers just come out of nowhere and just rush him out of the room. And it's very, it is distinctly uncomfortable, and you sort of wonder, like, how real was that? But apparently, it's very real because I guess the guy's filing a lawsuit, uh, saying he was made to look uh, foolish. He he got off way better than any of the any of the other uh, the folks how in the film. How uh, was the scene where he's on the talk show? Uh, that, with Richard Bay, that is actually the one scene that didn't really work. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because so in Bruno, there's this sequence where, and this is the thing that you've seen. Christy Turnquist will talk about this because I know that she got tired of seeing that OJ gag in every single trailer. But there's the sequence where Bruno goes on to the Richard Bay show. And Richard Bay is a real talk show host. He just hasn't had a show in like um, 15 years or something. He had a talk show, sort of a Jenny Jones style show in Chicago. And it's been canceled for a while, but the, but the deal is... They brought him back just for this. So Richard Bay is obviously in on it because he doesn't really have. It's called like, it's called like Good Morning Austin or Good Morning Texas or mm-hmm. something. But it's it's basically like a Springer show set in Texas. And so Bay was told, "Hey, why don't you do like a one-off? We're going to use it for the movie." So Bay's in on it. Obviously, you know the filmmakers are in on it, but purportedly the audience isn't. So Bruno comes out and he's got uh, he's got like the black kid that he's adopted. He's like, "I gave him a traditional Austrian, you know, or a traditional African name, OJ," and. The whole point of, of the bit, I think, is to show that the audience will accept almost anything except when he says he's gay and is looking for Mr. Right, and that's when the audience turns on him. And that's sort of a thing you see over and over again throughout Bruno, is that people will accept, like, escalating levels of awful and horrible, except when you get to the, and the gay, and then everybody sort of, that's the thing they freak out about. So really? it's about it's about American hypocrisy and, you know, our weird attitudes about sexuality and whatever. But but the thing is, that whole sequence where he's on the Richard Bay show is the one that doesn't really work because, A, 
I get the feeling that a couple of the audience members were plants, and I don't know that that's the case, but a couple of the, the questions just seem, they seem too perfect, and they're asked in that sort of, that sort of, um, th- that inflection that you hear a lot from on, on Springer-style shows, no matter who is speaking, man, woman, uh, old, young, black, white, they've all got that weird angled inflection where they say like, and you need to understand something about being a parent. And it's like that weird, I'm ending all my sentences by accenting the second syllable of the word. It, it, because, because you know, you don't know. I know. I'll tell you. Don't tell me. And they all kind of talk that way. And so no matter what part of the country you're in, who's in the audience, you can always tell somebody who is screaming at a guest on a daytime talk show because they all have that, that particular kind of, of dialect. Mm-hmm. Um, and... A couple of the people who stood up in the audience and were asking questions, it's, they were sort of, it was like they'd studied that at an acting school. It was like they'd practiced the dialect, you know, and that sort of weird inflection that angry people in talk show audiences always have, but they didn't really know it. And and the questions were just a little too, little too carefully phrased, and it was just a little too perfect in the delivery. So I think that the Richard Bay thing might have had some audience members as plants. And here's the other thing. The other reason why the Richard Bay sequence, the talk show sequence in Bruno doesn't work is because nothing that happens during that sequence is any weirder than anything that you probably could see on Springer like any any morning, mm-hmm. you know, at all. Because Springer, were you saying you watch it in the morning? Oh, I watch it every morning, except for this morning I was watching uh, an episode of True Blood. But um, I watch it every morning. Like, yeah, yesterday there was, or Friday, there was a guy eating food out of a wheelbarrow wearing a diaper, <laughs> two women fighting over him. <laughs> I love this country. I know. It's amazing. I love Jerry Springer. See, and the thing is, the Richard Bay thing is so much tamer than that. That's the deal. Like, the Bruno thing, I think it was just a losing proposition for him to try to try to go on a, a sort of Springer-esque show and be, be like, wacky and over the top. Because there's, like, there's no way you can out over the top just sort of the reality. Mm-hmm. So that's the one sequence that, that doesn't really work. Um, boy, there are some other sequences, though, where you are just, you are waiting for it to erupt in violence. I mean, and and not funny violence, like bad, scary, like how did he do this without getting killed violence. Uh, So we'll talk uh, more about that. Greg Nibbler, what do we have in the uh, way of news for the people today? All right. A shooting in northeast Portland is being investigated as possibly gang related. A uh, drunken father had his 11 year old drive home his vehicle and Leonard Cohen wants people to stop doing covers of Alleluia. Cohen. (laughs) Cohen. Uh, Wait, did he actually say that? Uh, yes. That's amazing. Yes. I agree people... <laughs> wholeheartedly. He is asking for a brief respite from new versions of his classic Alleluia. Excellent. He didn't like the magic that it created in Watchmen? I was just uh, going to no. say, it's funny how he didn't ask for a moratorium on the weird, awkward humping and out while wearing a rubber suit and dressed like a bat uh, scenes set to his song. All right. You know that's the most covered song in Canadian history already, and it only came out 1984? Which I guess 25 years ago, but still. All right. Uh... When we come back, we will talk more about uh, Leonard Cohen. Uh, We will uh, speak with Jim Roop from Cena Radio Los Angeles. Stay there. We're live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Don't go anywhere. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting from the greatest city on earth. Crime is down in Portland, but murders are up. This is The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Draw near that ye might be entertained. It's 503-228-4101 if you would like to uh, engage with us on the telephone today. 503-228-4101. You can also text at 520 
1-800-529-5151. Coming up uh, next hour, we'll talk about the, uh, improbably, about America's Next Top Model. So I was at the uh, the tryouts or auditions or, I'm not even really sure what they're called. It was, you know, but kind of a, like I hate to use the phrase. auditions or something. Right? Yeah, and I was going to say cattle call, which sounds awful, but you know what I mean. Where it's just the whole initial where, like, anybody, you know, can, it can come down. If you're able to follow a few simple rules, uh, unsurprisingly, a staggering amount of people were not. Uh, so, but we'll talk uh, about that, and then later this hour we're going to have one of the entrants uh, join us in the studio. Coming up uh, at seven o'clock today, also we'll have a major concert announcement. So you want to be listening for that. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles, CNN radio correspondent and man of the world, James Roop. Hello to you, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic. You're sounding much better than you were the last time we spoke with you. <laughs> I think the last time we talked to you was the day after the Jackson Memorial, and I think you've been up for about seven days without sleep. Yeah, it was uh, that was a, a rough period there, but it's over now, and all is well. You know, and the the best part was that we, the next day we're talking about the, you know, Jackson, and it was a very sort of very uh, touching ceremony, and uh, you know his. You know, one of his children came uh, forth, and one of them spoke and made a very, you know, it was a very heart-wrenching uh, uh, observation about her father. And it was a great time of togetherness and unity as a world. And I said, so what's next for you, Jim Rubin? He goes, I got some family crap to do. And then just sort of, you know, just sort of slurge your way to the end of the sentence, sort of, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in, in inaudibly. Um, so, in any event, where are we now with the strange case of Mr. Jackson? Well, it continues. The uh, guardianship hearing for today was continued, so that won't happen. I'm not sure when the um, the rest of it's going to go on. The, uh, the The estate hearing has to happen. I'm not sure what day that is. It's not today. And then we still have toxicology coming back. Uh, Latoya Jackson's mouthing off in, in some newspapers from what I'm hearing that she knows who Michael Jackson's killers were. I they saw wanted, that. They wanted his fortune or whatever. You know, I mean, come on. I, it was in, uh, I, I, uh, I think it was those British tests. It was like the Sun or News of the World or something. I saw the Latoya and the headline. Was and I don't I don't know how that works with British newspapers. In America, for example, you we always talk about you know the National Enquirer and the difference the, the, where there's two kinds of stories that the Enquirer will run. For example, the Enquirer will say sources have said or some are speculating or the rumors abound that. But then occasionally the Enquirer will just flat out say like so and so is addicted to Percocet. They'll just flat out say it as a fact, and that's when I believe it because they don't want to get the pantsuit off of them. But the, so I don't know how it works with British papers, but I think they, they, I mean, it's still just, uh, I suppose, one person's opinion, but they had uh, Latoya Jackson just flat out saying, like, I know who killed Michael Jackson, and I will not rest until that person is nailed. But by the same token, she doesn't mention who that person is. No. Well, she doesn't want to screw up her, she's going to be uh, Hercule Poirot-ing uh, around uh, town, sort of trying to, you know, she want to screw up her sort of Peter Falking as she uh, looks for whoever it is. She and OJ are teaming up for Exactly. Yeah, together to look for the real killers. So what is the deal there? They've got his brain sitting in a room somewhere, and they're trying to figure out what kind of drugs he was jacked up on. And then once once that's done, are they going to sort of, I mean, are all, are all the king's horses and men going to be able to, to put Michael Jackson back into one place and then finally bury him? Because he's just sort of sitting around waiting on the brain, right? Yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen after that. I mean, even even if they're able to put all the pieces back together and then do whatever they're going to do with them, they still have to figure out what to do with the information they're gleaning from all of this. Do they do they go to one, two, three, four, or all five of these doctors and at some point charge them with something? Does someone get charged with voluntary manslaughter, manslaughter, second degree murder? Um, you know what what uh, what criminal activity are they going to be able to? 
to determine from all of this, if anything. And what if Michael Jackson simply died of a heart attack? Right. You know. Uh, speaking of heart attack, I saw that cardiologist, uh, his uh, lawyer was, was talking, and it was weird because they gave the lawyer this whole battery of questions about the various drugs he might uh, have prescribed or not. And I think the lawyer just said, you know, hey, he never prescribed Demerol. No, he never prescribed Oxycontin. No, he never prescribed whatever. And then they got to the question of that Diprovan stuff, and they said, what about Diprovan? And I think the lawyer actually said, well, I'm not going to speak to that right now. So that sort of uh, stood out by it. That was a conspicuous uh, absence of denial is what that was. Um, yeah, the- you might as well say, well, okay, we gave him some of that. <laughs> when, you say, when, you, when you talk about everything else, you go, well, I don't want to comment about that. Duh, um, red flag. What's the, what is up with the, the, the kids? So uh, the, the kids are with Katherine Jackson right now, but, now, right now. but Debbie Rowe is going to, I guess, fight for custody because... Uh, you know, but but just of the two, which means the third kid would probably still go somewhere else. So I mean, this is going to be a long, long dragged out process. Yeah, like I said, my summer's pretty much locked up, so um, we'll, we'll be dealing with Michael Jackson for a while. Meanwhile, the state's sinking in a quagmire of twenty-six billion dollars of deficit. But it doesn't, apparently, that's not the most important thing going on in the world. Is what are we going to do with Michael Jackson's brain and his kids? They ever figure out who was going to uh, pay for everything that happened last week? Not yet. No, that's still a that's still a big. I think they took that website down. I, what was it? It, it was um, seventeen thousand people uh, re- replied to the to the request for donations, and they raised like thirty five thousand dollars. Like people put in two bucks a piece or something. Do you get the feeling it's going to be like like a church? The guys eventually they're just going to come to your house, and the guy's going to have the basket that they sort of pass yeah. from one person to another. Like, look, uh, we need you know, to. What, what, at my parish, what they do now is they you, you can sign up, and they'll just take you know 10% out of your checking account every month. You can direct deposit to. to the Lord. Uh, the uh, <laughs> You know what's interesting is that my uh, my wife, of course, grew up Mormon, and you know she's not uh, practicing now. Her parents still are, though. And the Mormon church, I don't think they do... I mean, they might actually do like a deal where it just comes right out of your check or right out of you know right out of your bank account or something because they're a, they're a very forward thinking people, the uh, Latter Day Saints. But you know, the weird thing about it is, if you're a Mormon, they actually come to your house like once a month and they just sit there and they literally they just like tally it up with you. They'd be like, "So uh, looks like you're only seven and a half percent. What is up with that?" Uh, because that you're supposed to give ten percent and they will come and I mean, you know, it's not by like the way, that's ten percent before taxes. Ten percent of the gross. Yeah, and it's not like they're going to have your. You know, it's not like Vinny the Chin is going to take you out back and work over your knees. But I mean, if you don't give ten percent, there's a guy who comes uh, to your house. Joseph and, the Smith. They 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 want to know. They want to know why. I mean, they want to know what that's all about. So I do remember this. I remember being a kid and sitting in the sacristy with my dad after church because my dad was an usher, and. Sitting there as this huge basket of, then it was largely cash, just this big basket of cash being dumped out on a table. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, I never stole anything because they, A, that would be wrong. And at that age, it would be triply wrong because I would, uh, you know, I was immediately just convinced that I would burst into flames. Oh, yeah. But I remember sitting there looking at this big pile of cash in the church sacristy table and just thinking, I wonder how much of this actually, uh, you know, in churches all over the uh, world, just uh, somehow finds its way into a guy's uh, pocket, because, you know, because he's, uh, you know, because he's in hock to somebody up to his eyeballs. It really was like it was like it was like my own personal tempting by the devil in the desert. It really was that uh, that money. So yeah, well, you know, last night uh, my kids and I we took up the gifts, and uh, I looked at my son Ryan, who was also an usher last night, and I said, "Dude, you take some out for us." And, <laughs> And the head usher slapped me in the back of the head. She said, don't say that out loud. No humor in church, please. What the hell was that all about? All right. Someday I'll tell you the story about how... One of these days I'll tell you the story about how when I was an altar boy, I spilled wine all over a priest uh, right up on on the altar. A lot After of fun. the consecration? Uh, during, yes. Uh, during, the, during the pouring of the, uh, the water and the wine, 
Uh, I sat there and I tripped on my, I'll just tell you, I tripped on my cassock and I went, go! And the, uh, I have the little tray with the water and the wine on it. And the thing is, I'd gotten the black robe. I'm an altar boy. And the and Sarah was an altar girl, by the way, so she knows what I'm talking about. I was indeed. I have this, uh, the, the cassock, which is the black robe, and I couldn't find one that fit me because you could never find one that fit you just right. It was either way too short or way too long. And I don't know why I opted for way too long. It's because I'm not too bright. <laughs> And so I'm up, and I want to say on stage, but I'm up, you know, I'm on, I'm up uh, on on the raised platform where the altar is, and there's one altar boy carries a cross, one altar boy carries you know, there's the cross, and then there's the two candles. Yeah, the candles, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then there's the deacon who holds the Bible or whatever, and then there's the altar boy who has a little tray, a little silver tray in my case, with a little uh uh what's what's the word on the p- little pitcher? Oh, okay. A little, little pitcher of water. Cruets. Yeah, a little cruet of water and yeah. one of wine, and then you pour it over the priest's hands, and he washes his hands, and he breaks the you know you know the body of Christ and whatever. So I'm getting up, I'm getting ready to do that, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick this up off the back table and go over here and help to consecrate the, the body and blood of Jesus. And, and I'm walking along, and this is the part of the, uh, the, 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 the cassock catches underneath my shoe, and it was like a slow-motion horror film <laughs> where I just go, no, and I'm leaning forward, and it's like, at a certain point, my body catches because I've stepped on my own robe, so I can't go forward anymore. But, of course, like the second law of Newtonian motion kicks in, and the water and wine just go flying off the tray into the priest, who doesn't see any of it coming. And it's just sort of, and it looked like he had one of those, like, dye packs from a bank explode (laughs) on the front of him. And, of course, you know, it's just awful on, like, a hundred levels where my parents are in the audience. Uh, You know, and also I'm in front of, you know, X hundred people. Also, you're like a spotty teenage boy. You're just embarrassed by everything you do anyway. And plus, I've just spilled Jesus' blood. Uh, You know, I don't even have been consecrated at that point. How do you react? That's awful. I don't remember. That's the weird thing. You blanked it out? I guess it hadn't been consecrated, so I I felt maybe I wasn't immediately going to suffer damnation. But, I mean. They didn't have to go get the holy mop and clean that thing up. I don't know. What do they do for that? Is there, like, a special. Yeah, there's a special towel or something. Holy towel. It's, it's really crazy. It's like, Catholics oh are awesome. Gotta get the holy mop, you know? Uh, I have, but the weird thing, Sarah, is I have like a like a bad childhood beating. I have blocked out the whole memory of that. I don't remember what happened after that. I have no recollection of so what remember happened. remember spilling the wine and then nothing? That's it. And then it like, here I am and I'm 36. So that's it. I got nothing. All right. On that note, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Talk to uh, Jim, uh, Dr. Jim Roop uh, as uh, Michael Jackson uh, developments unfold in the near future. There you go. Jim Roop from Los Angeles. <laughs> Those were good times, but not really. All right. It was embarrassing standing up on the altar. I hated doing that. Yeah. And it's like, and you always, and there was always some jackass next to you, one of the altar boys. Greg, were you an altar boy by I chance? I was, actually. I, I was an altar boy as well. <laughs> Excellent. Are there photos? Uh, I imagine there are somewhere. I imagine there are. I, I buried that in my memory. And then Adam uh, Thompson, Adam. Now, I don't, is there some Jewish equivalent to altar boys? Were you like some sort of a, a I don't know, lot, latka lad or something? I don't know. Whatever. I mean, it's just something where you, you know, you dreidel dude. You, <laughs> you do, you do, a th- you you do a thing, and you, I don't know, something or other. Yes. Really, Adam Thompson, uh, by the way, who was allowed to make these observations, says he was an accountant's apprentice. <laughs> there you go. Win. Anywho, uh, yeah, I have a photograph of me as an ultra boy somewhere. I'll find it. We'll scan it. We'll put it up. We'll embarrass me further. All right. Straight ahead, uh, we're going to talk to a young lady named Caitlin, who was one of the uh, auditioners for America's Next Top Model that happened Saturday. So I was there, and we'll talk a bit about the about what that process was like. Greg Nibbler will have news for you as well. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland. Stay there. It's Monday morning. Don't go the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. 
This is the Rick Emerson Show. You're a piece of crap. I'm going to use you as a footstool while I read a book. On Rock 101 KUFO. That was pretty righteous, what you just did there. <laughs> I thought you were going to make fun of me. Well, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, but in the same way, it's kind of great. Sarah just did the best thing. And we're going to reveal it now on the air. Now, I'm doing this so you can take credit for it because this is the thing that all the young people will be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what all my friends, this is how we all talk to each other. <laughs> so, um, so I was talking about uh, Bruno. So, uh, so uh, Chris Paddock and I went to see uh, the Bruno yesterday. Um, yesterday being, uh, what was it, Sunday? Yeah. So Sunday we go to see Bruno. And we're talking about something or other. And I mentioned... Just during the break now, I was talking about Bruno and the box office take and something or other. And I'm like, Bruno, blah, 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 blah. And then Sarah said, and the thing is, you didn't even say it to me. It's like you just sort of said it out loud. (laughs) You said it out loud like a weird sort of thought bubble that was supposed to just float away. You just kind of said, Chris Paddock likes this. And I, it was like you were, you know, it was like you were Haley Joel Osment and AI running some sort of an internal diagnostic. That's what we'll do, like um, rerouting system to main power. <laughs> like Go if something 10. good happens, like I'll be talking to like my friend Heather or something, I'll be like, Sarah likes this. See, but you're the first person I've ever heard do that. Did you create that to the best of your knowledge? That that speaking uh, tick I think right so, there. Because we always, because yeah, my friends and I will just um, always like everything <laughs> because it's so ridiculous on you know on Facebook. Like always put that little right. thumbs up thing, and so we'll be like. Sarah likes this, or Sarah does not like this. But saying it out loud, I've, are you the first person to do that? Do you know? I think so. Okay, see, that, and that's why I wanted to get out, because now, I'm telling you right now, I, it's, it, is what, uh, it is what they call the hundredth monkey syndrome, uh, where now, suddenly, a guy in Nantucket's going to begin doing it. Uh, the other guy in Nantucket, the uh, first guy's neighbor. Uh, but everybody, within, within like 30 days, will begin doing that, and I'm, I tell you, uh, hand to God, I'm telling you right now, you will see this show up on some sort of a, um, I was going to say Veronica Mars, but that ship has sailed. Um, you're going to see the show up on some sort of teen-based television program sometime in the next 30 days, like a Gossip Girl type show. Uh-huh. One character is going to say to another, um, you know, you know, like, Jacqueline Smith likes this. And then you go, and then somebody else will have the, will the obligatory um, uh, expository re- reply. You can't just keep talking out loud like you're on Facebook, you know? And I that like it. It's my, totally true. It's my personal quirk. It's not a quirk. It's irritating. You know, quirks can be irritating and funny. It's not funny. It's just irritating. And then a guy will come in and then they'll talk about going to the dance. There you go. But you did it first. You created it right here. Thank you, Rick Emerson. Rick Emerson likes that. This. <laughs> yeah. Ah, see, I can't even do it. See, right out of the gate, I've just fumbled the whole thing. <laughs> I have never liked anything on Facebook. I don't think I've ever clicked I like. Love, I always like everything that I post. <laughs> everything always? No, everything. Whenever I post something and then I'll just automatically click it. Do, okay, <laughs> so let me be like, you like this. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you find it sort of odd that there's no way to... That you have to sometimes... I mean, even though I don't really go through and click that stuff, that if there's a story posted that is about... I mean, it's a good story or it's a great observation, but it's about something sad. Mm-hmm. You're obliged to like it. Sort of, you know, seeing a radio correspondent, Ed McCarthy, who was a great guy, passed away. I saw that, and a bunch of people are like, you know. I like this. George no, I, this. no I'm, I don't. I hate it. Oh, I don't know. I was thinking that same thing. Yeah, it's, uh, there ought to be a sort of warmly agrees with the sentiments expressed in this post. Yes, does not like the fact that Ed McCarthy has passed away. No. All right, at the news desk, filling in for Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, it is Greg. In the news with Tim Riley. In local crime number three, two men were the victims of a robbery on Friday night in Beaverton. Nick Cannon defended Mariah Carey's performance at the Michael Jackson Memorial Service. 
and a teen girl falls in an open manhole while texting. All right, well, let's just do these. Let's kind of go through these one at a time here. All so right. we'll, uh, we'll start with the local crime. This is what, number three? Yeah, number three for the day, and I've got a list of them. Uh, yes, these were uh, two men who live in a Beaverton apartment were pulled out by gunpoint, and uh, the uh, thief took a rifle and $1,500 in cash. Wait, so they were robbed by a guy who took the... Their rifle. Well, I guess you can't really yeah. defend yourself with a rifle like at the drop of a hat right. or something. That's Actually, a... it was three men who robbed them. I, I apologize. Yes. But they came for the rifle and the cash. Came for the rifle and the cash. Yeah. I. Uh, that's one of those things that... Uh, having a rifle in the house is one of those things where you feel like you're theoretically protected, but not so much. Because that's, uh, that's not a thing you can do with a guy who's like a foot away from you. All right. Okay, following that, we have uh, Nick Cannon defended Mariah Carey's performance of the uh, Jackson 5 song, I'll Be There, at the Jackson Memorial. A lot of fans felt that uh, they were underwhelmed by her performance and thought she was flat through pretty much the whole thing. And I believe we have some audio for this. I definitely feel like, you know, her performance moved many, many people. So it, it did what it was supposed to do. It moved me off the couch to the bathroom while I waited for her to be done singing. That's what it moved me to do. The, uh, the only uh, the comment that anybody had about Mariah well, there were two. There were three, actually. One, she's lip syncing. Two, why are her, bo- her boobs showing? Because, it's, you know, it's a funeral. <laughs> uh, and three, like, who is that guy who's, who's standing next to her? Because everybody wanted and to, like... Horrib- and four, that horribly tacky ring. Why did she feel that necessary to wear? See, I didn't even notice the rings. I was so you distracted by the lip syncing and the cleavage. It was like a disco ball on her finger. I have no recollection of that. By the way, I'm just getting uh, a lot of texts now that just say things like, mm, Daddy likes this. Please don't <laughs> text things like that. Oh, man. Speaking of... Okay, let's stop. Space. Speaking of daddy. Um, no, no, no. Creepy. I, okay, but it's about to get way creepier, but it's not my fault. Go. Here's the thing. It's not my fault what I'm about to say. Okay, spit it out. Somebody sent me a photograph last night, and I don't think it's fake. I think it's real. I... There's something about it. First of all, it doesn't look photoshopped, but I guess that's not really, you know, that's not a roadmap anymore because you can't really tell. A lot of times stuff doesn't look photoshopped, but it is. Um, somebody sent me a photograph last night of a Dairy Queen sign located in parts unknown. I have no idea where this Dairy Queen was. I don't think it was like the Portland DQ or whatever. But somebody sent me a photograph of a Dairy Queen sign. And, you know, it was like those uh, those fast food signs are always like, you know, they've got the, you know, whatever, the main uh, store logo or whatever. And then there's the reader board where they put up, like, the cheesy the cheesy plastic letters. Mm-hmm. And it says, like, you know, now, Hot Fudge Brownie Delight, $1.55. It's a, dairy, it's a Dairy Queen sign. And it just, and I, it took me a minute to realize what they probably meant to say. Which is a thing that sometimes happens with advertising, where you uh, there's some sort of a phrase that could be taken uh, perhaps more than one way, and it you have to sort of stop and assess it and realize, okay, this is what they probably were trying to do. It's just a Dairy Queen sign, and the read report says, scream until daddy stops. And I looked at that, and I went, oh, wow. I, I, why would, I, I feel all, oh, it's about food. Okay, all right. And then you have to stop and assess kind of who you are as a person. Uh, that it took you a while to sort of get to that point. All right, uh, here is uh, Greg Nibbler at the news desk. All right, it was an accident waiting to happen, an open sewer, and a 15-year-old girl who was texting. Uh, well, she was texting, and she walked into an open manhole that was left open and unattended with no warning signs or orange cones. I believe we have some audio on this All one, right, too. So this is uh, the CBS affiliate in, I think it's in the Bronx. I think she was yeah. walking through the Bronx, which is a place, I mean, not like you want to be falling into a sewer like anywhere, but on the list of places where you don't want to fall into a sewer, the Bronx would be near the top, I think. 
Let's see here. Uh, it was like something out of a movie. Sliced and bruised is 15-year-old Alexa Lung. Sliced and bruised. Sidewalk tumble into an open sewer Wednesday night is stirring up a city investigation. This stupid mistake, that Kayla's mistake, I got hurt, you know? They are a pair of workers with the City Department of Environmental Protection who pulled the cover off the sewer on Victory Boulevard to flush it out. Alexa, who was walking to the store with a friend, felt the earth move suddenly. Everything was dark and smelly. It was just really <laughs> gross and just... And it was just shocking. It was scary. Regardless if I'm texting or not, like if there was cones there, I'm going to see a big orange cone. The family may sue the city. Medical bills are mounting. And Alexa lost one shoe. Do you want that shoe back? No. I could just stay there. There you go. What that, in God's name? None of those are your colleagues at CBS. That guy's I mean, delivery. that's amazing. Television market number one, Sarah. That delivery was awesome. The best part is the... And she lost a shoe. Suddenly, everything was dark and smelly. I really, really want to hear that one more time, please. And then, and then the, the girl sounds like Jamie Gertz in Crossroads. I definitely feel like... Oh, I'm know, sorry. That's Nick Cannon. Um, it was like something out of a movie. Sliced and bruised is 15-year-old Alexa Lunguera. I don't know what way she was sliced. ...to an open sewer Wednesday night is stirring up a city investigation. This stupid mistake, that Kayla's mistake, I got hurt, you know? They are a pair of workers. Workers with the City Department of Environmental Protection who pulled the cover off the sewer on Victory Boulevard to flush it out. Alexa, who was walking to the store with a friend, felt the earth move suddenly. Everything was dark and smelly. It was just really gross and just... And it was just shocking. It was scary. Regardless if I'm texting or not, like if there was cones there, I'm going to see a big orange cone. The family may sue the city. Medical bills are mounting. And Alexa lost one shoe. Do you want that shoe back? <laughs> I could just stay there. <laughs> they really buried the tragedy at the end there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, How can she go on? <laughs> I wish I could do an accent like Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas, because that's exactly who she sounds like right there. Oh, good God almighty. There you go. When you get to the big market, Sarah, they give you stories like that. You'll be able to handle the real hard-hitting news. All right. Coming up uh, in the next hour, we'll talk about America's Next Top Model, the tryouts which were this uh, past Saturday, where I, Rick Emerson, took on my new role as Dream Crusher. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, the weekend box office. Stay there. We're live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Portland. Beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy of all varieties. It's uh, 503-228-4101 if you would like to engage with us telephonically. It is 503-228-4101. Before we do anything else, ladies and uh, gentlefolk, we have a major concert announcement. Uh, do we have fanfare? Do we have some sort of a uh, fanfarian? Um, all I have over here is varying themes on the, uh, the popcorn bed and... Uh... <laughs> And that's not really going to work. Dude, uh, at one point during the Bruno movie, there's this... Uh, Was there a Wilhelm scream? No, no, no. There isn't. Oh. There is, no, there's not that. But there is this, this scene of explicit homoeroticism accompanied by the popcorn uh, song. So it's like this. <laughs> but it's like this... Uh, the techno sort of... Best movie Kind of version of that. So, all right. Do we have, uh, I don't know, so appropriately dramatic music for this concert announcement? Well, all right then. <laughs> Ladies, <clears throat> pay heed to this. All right, let me stop again. And 
Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Rick Emerson Show and Rock 101 KUFO are proud to announce Blink 182 coming to the Memorial Coliseum on September 9th, 2009. That is 9909, ladies and gentlemen. Tickets go on sale this coming Saturday, the 18th at ComcastTix.com. That is C O M C A S T T I X.com or at the Rose Quarter box office. Uh, However, in just uh, one moment, we're going to be giving away a pair before you can buy them. So, once again, Blink 182 coming to the Memorial Coliseum September 9th, 2009. Tickets go on sale this coming Saturday, the 18th at ComcastTix.com at the Rose Quarter box office. However, your uh, first chance to win them before you can buy them is right now if you are caller 10 at 503-228-4101. Ladies and gentlemen, you will uh, score yourself a pair of tickets to see Blink-182 coming to the Memorial Coliseum September 9th. So, excellent. There you go. Fantastic. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show um, a young lady named Caitlin. Caitlin, how are you today? I'm doing pretty great. Let me have you get a little closer on the microphone there. I'm doing pretty great today. <laughs> excellent. So this, I was telling this story early on that I spent Saturday... I mean, of all, you know, it's like phrases that I never thought I would be using out loud for a thousand. And the phrase is, I was at a, the America's Next Top Model. Um, what, what did you say to call it? It wasn't a tryout. It was an open casting call. So it was there an open go. casting call. And so the deal is that you, you come out and you've got uh, like photos and you stand in front of a camera and you answer some questions. And then they send that off, I guess, to the main sort of production place in Los Angeles or wherever. Uh, and then they kind of winnow it down, winnow it down. And then they pick however. Sarah, how many people... Uh, like with, with each... I think it starts with, does it start with like 12 people, 14 people? Um, Yeah, they have like a semifinals kind of on the, they do on the tel- television, and that has like around 30 people, and then they whittle it down to like 12 people that mm. are actually on the show. And so are you a fan there's, of... There's crying from the get-go too, it's genius. So it's not just crying when I'm there. Oh, so no, it's no. actually it's, it's crying, all the, crying whole time. all the time. I think they like try to find emotionally unstable girls to put on the show. Dude, speaking of emotionally unstable girls, uh, so <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that sounded creepy. Uh, remind me to play you this. Remind me to play this interview cut from one of the women that I uh, that I talked to after her audition. Uh, so Caitlin was there, and I, as the girls would kind of go in and they talk and they, you know, they do their couple minutes in front of a camera, and they leave, and I would sort of grab a couple minutes to say like, hey, how did it go? What do you think sets you apart? Whatever, and. I don't know. I talked to about 15 or 20 of the women, and then I talked to Caitlin, and I forget what your opening line was, but you said something like, I said, how did it go? And you said, well, I, I don't really think I'm what they're looking for. And I, I said, well, how would you describe yourself, Caitlin? And then you said something about Dungeons and Dragons, but it was like, it was within like 0.5 seconds you had referenced your Dungeons and Dragons character, and it gave me like a mini background, and we're starting to describe the uh, weapons or skills that your character would have if she was a model. <laughs> so we'll get on to that in a second. Um, how? What made you decide to go down and audition for the America's Next Top Model thing? Well, um, I decided, well, I got the text message from my sister the night before, like at midnight. She's like, dude, America's Next Top Model <laughs> casting tomorrow. You have to go. And I was like, all right. So um, I mainly did it just for like a laugh. Because I like watching the show because it is full of those crying, hysterical girls. Mm -hmm. And it's a real blast to watch. And I thought if I could be in close proximity to those kinds of people, it would really just be a fun experience. And you feel like you would seem relatively, I mean, is it like whatever whatever personal issues or uh, neuroses one has, they become relatively slight when compared to truly crazy people? Yes. And so you went there and... What was, I mean, was it anything like you expected? Because, I mean, it was just you stood in front of a camera and then they kind of pepper you with, with questions. And they make, was the thing where they make you sort of turn around and then you have to walk 
like back and oh, forth. There's whole thing of like, it's, I'm sitting there watching it. It's like they make you, I think, walk to the wall or turn around. What else do they have you do? So they um, they have you do a, like a catwalk demo. So you have to walk to the wall and back. They take several pictures of you. They want to have your your side profile view and your back of your neck and stuff. And Show me the back of your neck. Yeah. It sounds, you know, it's all very um, Bundy-esque. Yeah, it was... It was awkward and weird. And now, have you ever done? Had you done anything like this before? Any sort of uh, modeling or anything? No modeling. No. So I, I always wanted to as a child. I would say a girlish dream, <laughs> but um, no, that was just kind of out of my realm of comfort. So and so when you walked out, I saw you sort of shaking your head, and you had your friend uh, whose name I forget was. It was my sister Malia. Your sister Malia, and so she's uh, waiting outside reading uh, Harry Potter and the and the Half Blood Prince, and so. Uh, and so I was I'm like, I'm just going reading the Harry Potter book. Oh, this seems like she might be in the wrong place. And then you guys sort of left together, and I and I thought, oh, they're together. And so I, I was talking to you guys, and um, you you said though that you were not really what the what you thought they were looking for. What do you what do you think they're looking for, and how do you see yourself as being different from that? Well, they are looking for, as we've mentioned, emotionally unstable girls who are liable <laughs> to throw things at other girls in the house. And I think that I am not crazy, and so I'm not what they're looking for. So, well, I mean, and crazy is all relative, because isn't that the show where, I, am I thinking of, am I thinking of America's Next Top Model, where there was like a, like a full-on beatdown or something at one point? Or am oh, I there just... have been like many, many fights. It, it has come to fisticuffs many a time on that show. So is, it like, is it like the real world, where like once a season, uh, they'll be... Uh, no, they, they totally have the villain, and they have, you know, the slut, and, you know, the girl that everyone's kind of secretly rooting for. Like, you... they... They totally like typecast these girls and put yeah. them all into these different roles. It is the most amazing show to watch. It is ridiculous. So if you, uh, that's an interesting thing. So if you're watching, if you're a fan of America's Next Top Model, and then you're going, uh, you know, to an open casting call or something, I wonder if you have it in your head of like, you know, who would I be, you know, if I was on the show? Like, am I, you know, am I going to be, am I going to be the slut? Uh, you know, so I just, it, do you, and there's you, always the crazy person. They always get someone with some kind of mental disorder. And or like yeah, with a baby. What was what was your take on on the other <laughs> uh, on a lot of the other girls that were there trying out? Oh, um, I just remember these two girls that were right in front of me going into the casting call, and they were really ridiculously like like oh my god, we're like best friends, and like we're gonna be on the show together, and um oh my gosh, and just like freaking out about it, and I think I saw you go and ask them what song described them, yes. and they said, my name is, uh, look at me, I'm Sandra D from Greece. <laughs> what? And, and that just blows my mind, because I'm not sure if they want to be Sandra D or Rizzo <laughs> or um in musical theater. I'm it was just maybe the names were Sandra and D. I actually have one of those one of those uh girls that I talked to there. So this is I forget it was like Blonde Girl One and Blonde Girl Two. Uh so I've edited out all the all of their their names here or their last names anyway. So this is the first of those two girls. This is a little a sound clip where I was and I think I'm asking her sort of what what kind of sets her apart? So out of you know, everybody in the entire world who competes for this, what do you think you bring to the table that could make you America's Next Top Model? Well, actually, kind of funny thing. Um, the other day I was in downtown Portland at a restaurant, Chipotle, and a photographer stopped me. Photographer. And I had a fresh face. So I think I have a fresh face, and that's what I could bring to you. Know <laughs> do you know that he was really a photographer? Or I did, actually. He showed me his portfolio, got his business card and everything, and then I set up a photo shoot with him. So. 
So there you, you go. You are mean. Oh, and she said genius. photographer. What am I supposed to do? Not run with it? Okay, wait, you got it. And this is, I think, the other one of... Uh, the other, I think it was actually like a like a sort of triumvirate of them. There was like there was the two of them, and I think there was like a third sort of von Trapp sister that was that was along with them. They were like this weird matched set. Um, this is a girl named, and her name is important here. This is a girl named uh, Noel. If you were to describe yourself using a song, what song describes you as a person? Um, I'll just have to say the first Noel, since that's my name in Christmas. <laughs> What? There you go. It makes just as I much just sense to, today. I'm sending things because that's my name in Christmas. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, this is another cut from that same girl. All right. What is your name? Noel. Noel. I'm Rick. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how do you think your audition went? Uh, twenty. Twenty. It went great. So like two auditions in one. Exactly. Um, Something what? like that. What do you think sets you apart from the other entrants for America's Next Top Model? Personality and looks, completely. So what is the one thing about your personality that people notice the most? Um, probably just I'm outgoing and fun-loving and ready to have a great time. And so this is then her following that up. It's like a fireball. And yeah. then in She's... terms of your looks, what is your best feature? Eyes, smile, and boobs. In that order? Exactly. <laughs> The best part was wow. that it was, was like she pointing. She was. That's exactly it. <laughs> it was like it. she was underscoring, bringing the point into stark relief by saying eyes and like pointing at her eyes, smile, and then, <laughs> and then for smile. Boop, no, for Boop, she just kind of went and like threw her chest out of me. I thought she was going to dislocate something. All right, uh, we come back. We'll spend a few more minutes here with uh, Caitlin. I'm going to ask you about uh, your your Dungeons and Dragons uh, thing because it's awesome, and then I'll tell the story uh, about the girl who cried. So because of me, Rick Emerson. Which I say with... Did you I was, get it on tape? No, see, ah. you're such a bad person. No, I tried, but uh, she'd already run away. That's right. Stay there. Back after this. We're live from Portland. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Now broadcasting everywhere. I'm a feminist, but look at my boobs. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. downtown Portland, Oregon. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for joining us. Coming up here uh, later this hour, we'll talk to uh, Oregonian pop culture writer Christy Turnquist about the weekend box office. And coming up next hour, so Sarah and I will be taking the America's Next Top Model. We'll we'll be asking these uh, questions of each other. So uh, on Saturday, I was at Cedar Hills Crossing for the casting call for America's Next Top Model. And there's, like, right out of the gate... They put me uh, up at the front, sort of the, like the main sort of entryway where, you know, everybody kind of comes in. Because this season, I think, is all or the upcoming cycle or whatever they call it. It's going to be all 5'7 and over. So the first thing you have to do is just screen out everybody who's not 5'7. And I have to tell you, there's a, this is like that uh, that time th- that you made me get measured on the air because i gone through my whole life telling people I was six feet tall. And which I think you're you, definitely not. Which yes. I'm not. Which, which I found out sort of embarrassingly enough on the air. I am not. You're just like flat you're out. A very petite young man. Yes, I am. I'm a. I have a slender girlish figure. But so there's there's a whole sort of uh, a, a similar story that I will tell. We're here with um, a young lady named Caitlin who was uh, one of the uh, auditioners for America's Next Top Model. So um, it's just <laughs> Greg Nibbler. Well, that Nibbler. was me, sir. All right. 
Someone needs to put his windows sounds away. Um, but uh, so just to sort of wrap this up and, and then we'll get to some more audio from uh, from the tryouts later on and, uh, you know, all of this. But when I talked to you after the, the audition, Caitlin, and you were saying, well, I don't really think I'm what they're looking for. And you said, I'm more of a Dungeons and Dragons player. And then I uh, and then I, it, it, of course, had to ask all of the obligatory follow up questions. And here's what a tool I am, even at like 36 years of age when I ought to know better, because here's like the, the sordid secret about me is I don't really like play Dungeons and Dragons at all. And yet, what did I find myself doing? I found myself sort of fronting as though I were a Dungeons and Dragons player. So just you guys out there, realize that nothing ever changes and that you will be old and lame and married and boring and you will still try to pretend to be cooler than you are in whatever context. So, uh, but I should ask on behalf of the geek demographic in the audience, uh, your Dungeons and Dragons character's name? Roland. And Roland is a? A female fighter. And her skills are, I mean... Well, she um, is. Uh, she wields a, a great axe, which is a two-handed axe, which is amazing for battle. And she has a um, a cloak of strength right now, which gives her a plus like ten to her strength. So she's like a twenty-eight strength right now, which is a little bit ridiculous because she's only level five. And so you play which? This is uh, something that our good friend Aaron uh, Duran of GeekInTheCity.com would want to know. Uh, which version of D and D do you play? Three point five. Do you play any other role-playing games? I do. I play World of Darkness. Awesome. I was What's just... World of Darkness? World of Darkness is um, a role-playing game. It um, is, unlike Dungeons & Dragons, it's based in modern times. Um, I'm playing a campaign right now that is based in Gotham City, and I play... Um, you know, the sound you can hear right now is that of a million new online stalkers being created with every syllable. So, um, I'm sorry. So it's a so it is a set in Gotham City. Yes. And then you. Uh, What's your name on that one? Do something or other. I play um, a girl named Bianca. She's affiliated with the mob, and uh, yeah, and she has a uh, this thing called a retainer, which is a person that. Pretty much follows her around and would do anything for her. His name is Gino. Is that one of your real life friends? I was going to say you're going to get a whole lot of those uh, probably <laughs> yeah, after no. the show. Get a lot of Gino. I, I like to be a retainer. Um, <laughs> if your position is available, I'd like to do that. That would be shiny. No, so. yeah, no. A retainer is a non-player character, an NPC. So I play him too, kind of, but mainly the DM. Excellent. I That's so really. Awesome. I was going to say. I just have nowhere else to go there uh, except to say this. Uh, I asked you um, if you were um, if your character were to become a model or if, something like that. I said, you know, what what is the what is the skill or tool that your character would have for the modeling world? Uh, and I think I said boots of strutting or something. But you had the uh, you had some sort of a re- like a reduction cloak or something a or other. Cloak of slim fitting. It made you a perfect size two or whatever the designer was looking for, and had a plus twelve to charisma. Excellent. So there you go. See, come on. At, at that point, it was like, and as soon as you said, uh, "Well, I'm more of the Dungeons and Dragons type," in my head, I'm like, "All right, uh, get email address, book on show Monday <laughs> morning." Sent this woman to me. Seriously, uh, <laughs> look. Do I know? Do I know our audience, or do I know our audience? Um, all right. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for spending some time thank with us, you. and we appreciate you coming on it. And so, uh, best of continued success in uh, in all things. So, <laughs> all right, there you go. Her name is Caitlin, ladies and gentlemen. She was uh, one of don't stalk her. Enter the yeah, please don't stalk, please for the love of God, because she'll uh, there'll be some smiting. I can just uh, some uh, smiting like you've never had. Coming up next, we'll touch to Christy Turnquist from the Oregonian about the weekend box office. You stay there. We're live from Portland. The Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Now broadcasting everywhere at all times to everyone. As a rock star, you know, I was being a rock star in the music through Limp Biscuit and the rock star. 
The Rick Emerson Show returns. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for joining us. In just a moment, we'll be uh, welcoming Christy Turnquist from the Oregonian to the show. Talk about the weekend box office. Uh, coming up next hour, what the hell are we doing next hour? Coming up next hour, uh, well, Sarah and I will answer these questions that the models answer uh, for this but America's see, Next Top Model. You've had all weekend to prepare, and I have no idea what the questions I haven't really are. looked at them, though, because this wasn't, this is one of the, I was busy making girls cry uh, at the entrance. This was not a thing I did. I'm still disappointed that you didn't get audio of that. What kind of radio I, personality? Are you? you know, I, here's the thing. This is, there are moments when I realize I'm really, uh, I guess I'm just not an A-lister in the uh, in the radio world because because I get really, um, like, I get sort of awkward uh, and, un- awkward's the wrong word. I get kind of uh, uncomfortable if I get the feeling that my questions are making somebody else uncomfortable. I think I just lack the stuttering John, uh, you know, the chromosome or something. That's just, uh, you know, so I, th- I will I will tell you this. There was a uh, a woman at the America's Next Top Model thing who she didn't want to tell the story. The weird thing is she didn't want to tell the story to me. Like, I'm just there with a the microphone. She didn't want to tell it to me. But apparently, I found out later, she did tell the story on camera on her audition tape, which goes to all the producers in L.A. And the story is that they, one of the questions is, uh, the one of the ones I do know is, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? And apparently the craziest thing she'd done is... Uh, and I got the feeling it was recent. She and her boyfriend, her mom, her dad, brother, and sister were all like in the family TV room, like watching television some Sunday night. And then at one point, like she and her boyfriend are humping it out, like right what? there in the same room, in in flagrante, as they in say, in front of her parents. That's yes, that is the. Oh, that's gross. Okay, but here's the weird thing: she told the story on camera. Like for Tyra to see, but she she wouldn't tell me. Um, so I, I have this story sort of secondhand, uh, but I do know that one of the contestants told that story on camera. So I would imagine, I'm not saying she made it up, but you got to wonder if that's the sort of thing that is said on camera because you figure they're going to show it. If you know, they, you know, they might show that during the weeding out process at least. You know, it's like with American Idol where they show just all of those audition tapes, and a lot of people are just terrible and whatever. But you know, but the weirder you are, the more likely you're going to get a little little camera time. So. Anyway, uh, so we want to thank Caitlin uh, for coming in. By the way, I'm just going to read a handful of these. She she really was. I I should read a couple of these. This one says, um, Rick, let me get this straight. You have a female geek who is hot enough to audition for America's Next Top Model. Heads are exploding in dudes' parents' basements throughout the Northwest. Uh, Best show ever. Uh, Let's see. This is from Facebook. I can overlook the fact... I can overlook the fact that she plays Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 because she plays World of Darkness. She is completely stalkworthy. Uh, and then he says, "Thankfully, I'm lovingly leashed by my wife." Uh, all right. Uh, this is all weird. Two more. These are uh, via text. Uh, this one. This one just says, "OMG, she is amazing." And then the one below that says, "Yeah, she sounds like Buffy." So, which she kind of does. She had a little bit of that. Um, uh, She's Sarah super cute too. She was very stylish. Yes. Right, so she has like a bright yellow sweatshirt on, a little skirt, and um, like cute sandals. See, and I, a nice girl. See, and see, that's a better. So you bring a Muse T-shirt. It, was that what that was? Mm-hmm. I was I was trying so hard to get. It's like the main eye contact, maintain <laughs> eye contact. Keep look at the face. Um, it just it, it, here's the thing, and, and she's a nanny. And she's a nanny. <laughs> well, but do you remember? I was like talking to her yesterday after she did the audition, and she's wearing. First of all, yesterday she's wearing heels, and she she was like 14 feet tall when I talked to her, uh, and wearing clothing that appeared to have been vacuum sealed onto her. Uh, Good for her. Frame. Body. Thing, uh, okay, stop talking about her. Body. Awkward. I'm just saying, uh, it, so, but that's why I was just like, yesterday I found myself actually fronting as though I were a bigger Dungeons and Dragons player than I really am, just because. You just I'm, really wanted to get her on the show? Uh, yes, that's why. <laughs> 
Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show for the Oregonian, Christy Turnquist. Hello, how are you today? Well, I'm fine. I feel a tad inadequate and in, in sort of following Caitlin. Welcome to my world. <laughs> so I am more than a tad inadequate, and it's in all areas. So how was your weekend? Well, it was good. It was good. I, uh, I, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sorry. I'm just so... Me terribly, terribly inadequate. You know what I did though? Uh, speaking of all things uh, nerdtastic, so I was I have this uh, Xbox Live account uh, that is I have one that, that you know is from like way back uh, that I don't that I don't really give out on the air just because that's like if I want to go on like especially if you're playing a new game and you want to go on and be terrible you don't want everybody to sort of observe your shame. So I have my Xbox Live uh, gamer tech that I give out on the air, which unimaginatively enough is just Rick Emerson, and so I log on and um, I log on to play Left for Dead, which is the zombie killing game. And this is on, I think, maybe Saturday or something. And I log on, and immediately there's a bunch of messages from dudes who are like, you know, Rick Emerson, awesome, let's play Left 4 Dead. And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, so I, I joined some Left 4 Dead game. And of course, and I'm thinking, like, this is, uh, you know, I will now stride uh, across uh, this fictitious landscape like Colossus, impressing <laughs> all with my might. And I was the first one killed, like, three times in a row. Uh, and at one point, I was actually doing so poorly, I felt like taking my own life as a player because I was just slowing everybody else down. And he just, and you know, meanwhile, I just, you know, you, you realize that this is then going to be the lasting impression that whoever you're playing, the listener that you're playing Xbox with, that's the lasting impression they're going to have of me for like the next six months. <laughs> but like, oh, I played, uh, yeah, Rick Emerson. Yeah, we were on Xbox Live. He sucks, dude. He's awful. Right. I like that for some reason. What was uh, <laughs> what was at the uh, the box office this weekend? Uh, well, as you've been talking about this morning, um, the number one movie was Bruno, the Sasha Baron Cohen uh, follow up of about three years after Borat. And it made about thirty point four million. Although there was something interesting that happened, it had a really strong Friday. It made about fourteen four million on Friday, and then it plunged precipitously about thirty nine percent. Was like every day. Yeah, it was a little less than than the day yeah. before. And that's very unusual to have that kind of a drop because you wouldn't think Friday would be the strongest day since you know some people are actually working on Friday. Um, so that's got got people in the biz sort of buzzing and wondering about it. Um, and then the rest of the lineup was was kind of what you'd expect. Um, Ice Age: Dawn of the Dinosaurs did really well. Came in number two. It made another twenty eight point five million, which is really good. Um, Transformers: It Gives Me a Migraine earned another twenty four point two million. <laughs> like uh, Michael Bay has become your sworn enemy. Oh, he's my bet noir. He's so good looking. He's like your adversary. Well, that's the thing. Is like that's you know, can get away with it. Just like how pretty girls can get away with anything. Michael Bay can. Well, and then, he's I nice mean, to look at. You know, and the thing about Michael Bay is it's just one of those things where you, you can't figure out whether they hate him or love him because on the one hand, vastly successful. I mean, makes movies of varying quality, but I mean, varying. he's certainly successful, certainly uh, has a keen sense for what the American public wants, and he's a good-looking guy. Uh, and I've seen him in interviews where he comes off as just razor sharp. I mean, it's really? a guy, he's nobody's fool. I mean, that's a guy, he's very, I mean. Well, I, he knows the business, well, I was going to say, smart enough to make a movie that's got like nine jillion dollars uh, yeah. at the box office so far. And to have Megan Fox audition by washing his car while he films it. <laughs> I mean, that right there is enough to make him my personal hero for at least a day or so. Oh, and that's enough to put him on my hate list even higher than he was. But see, but, <laughs> but, but now it's like, again, you've got to sort of shadow self. You've got to, you know, he's the Joker to your Bruce Wayne. Oh, he totally is. Um, and then number four was Public Enemies, which is a pretty good, it's not great, but it's a pretty good movie directed by the very talented Michael Mann and with a really good Johnny Depp performance, actually. You know, Johnny Depp is one of those guys who's, who has spent most of his career being uncomfortable with how good-looking he is. Right. And in this movie, he, he embraces his hotness, I think, by approaching the character of John Diller, you know, John Diller. John Dillinger. John Dillinger, the Depression-era bank robber that he plays. 
as a rock star or a movie star, which he kind of was in his day. A lot of times modern takes on the gangster thing, you know, you know or you know, contemporary films that show that era, they just come off as sort of exercises in costuming. Yeah. Uh, I remember there's been a lot of movies set in that era that I wanted to like, and it's just they just ended up being very much about the production design and it was like the movie itself. But I heard the Michael Mann... You know, Michael Mann and Johnny Depp are two great tastes that I would think uh, taste great together, taste especially. Great together. <laughs> and and he's and the Michael Mann kind of needs a big hit too because the last, what was the last big film he had? Was it Collateral? Probably. I mean, it's probably Collateral, which 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 was okay. It wasn't staggeringly good, but yeah. it was, you know, we had a couple kind of high profile uh, disappointments after. Yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I, he's he's really a wonderful filmmaker. He doesn't have a great story sense, and that is true of this one as well. I mean, it looks terrific. It's really well made. All the actors do a good job. It doesn't have enough story. There's just not enough happening in it. Well, let's talk about happening and story. Let's talk about Bruno for a second. We'll mm. go back to that. Oh, yes. So I saw Bruno, and I it's not like I resisted. I just I, I had lowered my expectations going to see it because I was a big fan of Borat, not such a big fan of Ali G. And I figured, well, this is it. I'd heard he was kind of like, I heard he was sort of, this was just the milking it uh, movie. This was the, this was the flat out cash in, mm-hmm. which is sometimes how you feel where they've got a good idea and they realized like that the studio just kept adding zeros onto the check until they felt like they had to do it. Mm-hmm. So I went to see uh, Bruno, not wondering what it was going to be. And first of all, a lot of the things that I thought were going to be true with Bruno, it weren't true at all. I thought the character was going to be very unlikable and off-putting and he is off-putting, but in, you know, in a sort of in a sort of perversely charismatic way. I mean, that's the thing you can say about Sasha Cohen is he knows how to craft a character. I mean, you talk about the, the Borat, guy who's just a raging anti-Semite, but you kind of go, but, yeah, but he's fun, but he's kind of a cool guy. He's sort of lovable as a raging anti-Semite. He's kind of a kooky bigot. And the thing with, uh, with, with Sasha Baron Cohen and Bruno is he makes him sort of childlike, and that's the thing. But I have to tell you this. First of all, thoughts on Bruno. One, I have no idea on God's green effing earth how they got away with an R rating for that film. It is it is mind-bogglingly crude, sexual, profane. I mean, just uh, not and again, I'm not offended by it, but you just I remember uh, somebody made this point. I remember what, what was it? Eyes wide shut the Kubrick Kidman, mm. Tom Cruise thing, yeah. where they had like they literally did the Austin Powers thing of like photoshopping in like potted plants to cover some guy's junk. Those those days are gone. First of all, you see Sasha Baron Cohen's junk a lot, and you see it doing stuff. You don't see it doing anything sexual as such, but you remember those guys we had, the puppetry guys? Uh-huh. A lot of that. A lot of that stuff. There's a big extended sequence, and this is it's not a documentary, but I mean, the, the footage is real life. In other words, it's not, you know, like actors doing stuff for the most part. Like, his interviews are real people. He goes to a suburban swingers party, and you just see a bunch of... Swingers full-on sexing uh, right there in a living room. I read over the weekend, though, that there's a lot of penises, yes. but that they were animated. And I'm not making a, you know, like a CGI sort of. That's what the CGI studio is claiming. Does that make a difference? Is that like the MPA? Do they draw a distinction or something? I don't know. And how do they prove it? I, I don't know. That's actually. That's okay, a, now I have to see it just to look for the CGI penis. And also that's to see how I feel, you know, <laughs> a whole sequence where he's having uh, a sensitive part of his anatomy bleached. That's a lot of fun, too. Oh, really? And I'm also. Here's the other, here's the only other thing I'm going to say. There people kept uh, talking about Bruno and they kept saying things like, oh, there's going to be this one sequence and you're not going to believe how far he takes it and how long it goes. And I thought, oh, it's going to be like the nude wrestling thing from Borat where it's him and the big fat nude guy and they're on the bed and then they run to the banquet room. It's like that, but there's no nudity. You don't see any part of anybody's body. There is no actual sex or physical contact shown. 
But it is so much worse than that. It is so unbelievably so much worse than that. Uh, anyway, so I you got to see it. I strongly recommend it. You really I, have to. I'm gonna leave the the you know station here and run out and see the first matinee. <laughs> I'm like I'm here for the animated junk, please. Uh, what is uh, coming up in the Oregonian, Christy Turnquist? Well, let's see. Um, today I have a sort of review of the season two premiere of Leverage, the show that's been yeah. filming in Portland. Um, we tried to get Timothy Hutton local. in the studio, and his people told us to pound it. Mm. They, uh, they we could have him on the phone, just not in the studio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was nice to me. He can't. Oh, this see, he'll no, no, I, mean, I think that he's. I think that he seems pretty nice. He seems nice. It it's people. always their people that's yeah. the problem. Oh, I see. So season two is that out? Is it just premiering on television? It premieres this week. It's Wednesday night. Excellent. Um, and I have the long in the works, much delayed story about Portland rock poster designers that's coming up this Sunday. And I have the A&E cover story about Lebowski Fest. Excellent. And that is going to be at uh, the Aladdin. Just coming and up the Hollywood Bowl. And the Hollywood. All right. Awesome. Christy Turnquist, reader in the Oregonian, or online at OregonLive.com. As always, a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Christy Turnquist, ladies and gentlemen. Straight ahead, we have more news from Greg Nibbler. Plus, we'll answer the magical question, how was Sarah's date last night? Oh, God. <laughs> Stay there. We're live from beautiful downtown Portland. Don't go anywhere. It's Monday morning. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO! Pop, pop, pop! Portland! Live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this text message is, Rick, I totally just bought Left 4 Dead. I can't wait to play it. It sounds freaking epic. Uh, let's see. And playing the game with you will make it all the more awesome. Well, it's nice of you to say because so, sir. Because you suck so terribly I was at it? say because I'm so awful that uh, you, sir, uh, will look like a Left 4 Dead god by comparison. Oh. Make up some, I should make up some sort of an ailment to, uh, to ex- excuse my poor gameplay for this weekend. I'll say that I had some sort of, uh, I was like, a, I had some sort of an epileptic uh, fit or something uh, happening. All right, uh, here's what's coming up. So um, at 8.20, uh, it, we will have the rest of this audio from some of the girls that I taped at the America's Next Top Model uh, audition. So I did this, this sort of post-audition interview. So I have some sound uh, from that, and I have these, just a bunch of clips of the girls who auditioned and assessing themselves. And there's one that kind of just came from out of nowhere. It really was just out of the blue. So I'll play that one uh, at 8.20. And then, Greg, you have – this is the questionnaire – this is the list of questions that the girls are asked on camera when they go to audition for the America's Next Top Model thing, as well as the instructions about what they have to do. So uh, so I figured uh, that you should ask Sarah those questions. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not doing it by myself. He's asking you, too. But we have to do it as if, like, we're... Um, but I don't think it works for me. I don't think it... It does? I, uh, America's I, Next Top Model embraces everybody. I don't, I don't have uh, bosoms. I don't, I don't know that... Uh, I don't. I think I ought to be excused uh, from these. I do not think so. There's, there's no question about bosoms on here. Exactly. No. Well, okay. <laughs> but before we do anything else, so we'll talk about Sarah's date here in a second last night, because yeah. I didn't know you had uh, a date last really... night until I think uh, like an hour or so ago you yeah. mentioned it to me. You somehow left that out. I didn't really want to say anything because, you know, things like that usually go very poorly for me. Yes. But, um, yes, yeah, so I went out with this guy last night, um, really nice guy, and we were talking about stuff and, you know, and then who we had dated before had come up and he had told me that he just got out of a relationship a month ago. And I was like, oh. And wait a minute. Where did you meet this guy? I met him at a bar. <laughs> the odds makers take a beating. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, all right. You guys See, are jerks. <laughs> met, a, met him at a bar. And you realize now he's describing you as, oh, just a chick I met at a bar. Uh, so, uh, anyway. So, so I met him and we got to. Where was the date? To Chatton. 
Was it a bar? It was at a restaurant uh-huh. with a bar attached. Okay. <laughs> So was the restaurant sort of incidental <laughs> to the whole up. process? Okay, so you are um, so you're out with this guy last night. Yes. What are we going to call him? Um, I don't know. He's a he works with the guitars. He's the so guitarist. The guitarist. There you All go. right, he's the guitarist. Okay, so you and the guitarist. This is your first date last night. Yes. Okay, you. Uh, so I met him last Thursday. He asked you out. Yes. All right. So we yeah so we got to chat and then then exchanged phone numbers and then. Um, he had called me on Friday and said, you know, I have a bachelor party to go to this weekend, a bunch of stuff, but, um, you know, I'm free Sunday if you want to hang now out. Now, was the bachelor, was he going to a bachelor party? Was that a turnoff? Was that you, did you think less of him for that? No. All right. No, but. The well, night- some girls are weird about that. Like if a guy goes to a bachelor party, he goes into like the douche category in your head. Oh no. Cause I would expect to be able to go to that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't expect, you know, somebody else to Excellent. get mad about it. All right. Uh, so yes, we're sitting there talking. So we go out last night, have some food, have some drinks, whatever. And then, you know, like the. Last relationship talk comes up, and he, I asked him... So you're single. How's that possible? Oh, no. I asked him, like, so, well, you know, what did your ex-lady friend do? What do, what do you think... Why do you even ask that question? Here's I the can't, thing. Because just, he started talking about it, and so I'm like, oh. It's like I cringe just, just hearing you ask it. I don't even know what the answer is, because how do you know that it was something she did? No, no. Like about... Uh, had he already cl- had he, he, he explained had something about like how the, like this girl was kind of crazy and all this stuff? And oh, this, okay. Like, so you knew that it was kind of a her her problem. Kind yes. Of a thing. So he had told me about this girl, and then sort of vaguely, vaguely, and then so I was like, and so I asked him a little bit more about her, and he told me something about her that I was a little off put about. What do you think? What do you think that he would have told me? Okay, so the guy you're out with last night, first date, you're talking. You know that he recently broke up with somebody. You know it was and something. So then we're, we're talking on her a little side. bit more about it. He says, "My." No, he ex- broke it off with her, but um. Right, but I mean, it was a problem on her. It was he. You know, there was, there it wasn't was... so much a problem as. Wait, hold on. So he revealed something about his ex-girlfriend. Um. See, immediately, I just I. Do you I, want to do I, uh, twenty questions? I immediately go to the you know the the retarded. They used to be a man. I I don't uh Greg. Uh, was there tire slashing? Was this a? Uh... <laughs> you went to tire slashing. <laughs> I will. That's, that's odd. That's no, what I think. No of. tire slashing. Um, okay. All right. Uh, is it health, I guess it's, it a health issue. No, what kind of no. category? Yeah, this is. See, I was going to go right to warts. Uh, so, well, I mean. Uh, yeah, that's it. We're having a couple casual beers and he talks about his girlfriend's genital warts. <laughs> <laughs> We're not saying she had genital warts. Uh, it, no, I'm saying you, you clearly it made you very awkward. So I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of. Like, it, was, it was just surprising because this person is very like well, like well put together. He was wearing like, you know, a buttoned up shirt and like. She's a junkie. Close. Prescription meds. She was a prostitute. Close. How's that? <laughs> you say all of these things with this this ill-concealed <laughs> hope. You have this this sort of uh, this sort of uh, strange uh, hunger that edges your voice when you talk. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Um, okay, junkie, close to junkie. Not close to junkie. More close to prostitute. Closer to prostitute. She was an escort. She was a stripper. Yes. Wait, what? Escort? Stripper. Oh. She oh, that's less interesting. He dated her for like six months. He dated a stripper for six months. And this is very disappointing. Oh, that's complete. This is completely. Really? This I've is the revelation? Date, I've never gone on a date with somebody who's ex. Like, and this was an ex girlfriend. This was a relationship. And he used to go and see her. She dances at a couple clubs in town. And he would go and watch her while she worked. There are so many strippers in Portland. I bet 10% yeah, I... of the population of the city, male population, that's dated. There's just. There's. There's. I find that here's the thing. It weirded me out though because he's like so normal looking, and he like is just completely normal. How should he? How should he look if he's going to date a stripper? Should have a know. hook? It's weird though, like to know that he dated somebody for six months. Should be covered in cigarette burns or yeah, something. Like you know, it's just like up there shaking her cakes every night. And the way I asked the question though, and then like I was asking sort of a series of things, and you said yes. I, at first, I thought escort. 
Because you said yes, well, I but know. I think I'd already moved on to something else or whatever. And, and I was like, escort, that's exciting. But I mean, well, I'm sorry you, that my crazy life doesn't interest you. It's not your, there's no need to be mean. I'm just saying that, that like in Portland, I don't think that counts as weird if, if some guy dated a stripper. But I've point. dated many, many guys and none of them. Who has not dated a stripper? Greg? I've, di- I've been on a date with a stripper. Yeah. Adam well, that's not dated six a stripper? months with a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> Adam's just putting his finger through his other hand, which is shaped like a hole. Oh, Thanks God. so much. Uh, like really, like exuberantly. Strippers. No, because I, let me think. I get right now, if we were to pull the audience, probably 45% of the guys out there have dated a stripper. I don't buy that. I, well, see, but if I, see. But I mean, if, but that was like a long-term relationship too. That's six months with a stripper. There's nothing wrong with being a stripper. I know. I, is, wait a minute. Now, hold on a second. Wait a minute. I think I see to the bottom of this. Are you wondering what that says about you? If he dated a stripper for six months and now he uh, asked you out? Is this like you're like a mirror mirror thing? Like you're you're wondering uh, what reflection is cast upon you, Sarah Dillon, as a person? No, I think I'm just wondering. I mean, what is your? I guess like, I'm wondering you, what kind of person he is because like he seemed very you know like intelligent, well to do, and then I don't know, maybe the yeah maybe the stripper's like a very maybe nice he likes girl. having sex with hot chicks. <laughs> I mean that's I mean I mean it could be in other words it doesn't like they weren't engaged or anything right? No. So it might have been sort of a maybe casual is the wrong word, but it, it seems like they were just just dating. No, it seemed no they were they were together. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, strippers can be kind of high maintenance, I suppose. But I, but it doesn't mean that she's flat out crazy just because she's a stripper, which doesn't mean, you know, which means that he's not necessarily. Yeah, I, I think that's less. That's I think that's less of an issue than than it is in your head. Okay. I think that that is. Um, don't take this the wrong way. I think that might be a you thing. <laughs> the me crazy. I mean, do thing. I don't think the average. I was going to say the average woman, but I don't really know what the average woman is like. I just I have no idea anymore. I, I used to think I knew. What the average woman well, was like, but I just don't. Thing too, because it's like, okay, some girls up there hot enough, you know, to be taken off her clothes at um some pretty well known establishments. Yeah, but how hot can how can he be? He dumped her. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, there's... yeah, I was gonna say, what are these venues too? Because that doesn't necessarily. Well, should we? Uh, I'll tell you. Do you want me to tell you off the air? Well, let's just. Why don't you? So the audience doesn't feel left out. Why don't you not tell us off the air? Why don't you just say? Um, let me put it this way: uh, Is it a venue more like? Um, is it a venue uh, that you would, uh, really there? Yeah. Sarah just hold, oh, Sarah just held it up. Now see, but I think the girls there are hot. I think, no, 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 there's nothing know, wrong with a girl who dances there. there. Yeah, that's, that's definitely very well known. Uh, yeah, that's a, you, you might say that's a, you might say that's a, a very, <laughs> very well known place. Yes. It's a place that. Someone... <laughs> It's a place that uh, has a fond, um, it resides fondly in the hearts of many. Um, now I don't know how to not identify the strip club. Okay, it's anyway. It's yes, a famous so Portland know. strip club. A, a heritage strip club. See, I think we've cracked wrote, the code. Someone just texted, I dated a stripper, then married her sister. That didn't work out so good. I don't think the stripping is the issue there. I think that he's mis, <laughs> he's the mislaying the blame uh, there. So I don't. It's I, just I've never fully been able to identify with women who take off their clothes for a living. Like yeah. there, there are people who have the stripper gene, and there are people who don't. Yeah, but but so it seems like you have a problem vi- with the woman vicariously through him. Like he's just the conduit uh, through which you can have I an issue with the girl. It's making me wonder what kind of person he is that could, that you know, did. Do you think he should have a problem with women who make money taking off their clothes? No, but I think it it kind of changed. I don't know. It, it, it sounds like you. On him a little well, see, but that's the thing: is it sounds like you, to some degree, it sounds like you are disappointed that he would. My, I'm not saying this is just my read on it. I can't think of a better term. It seems like you are disappointed that he would kind of lower himself to date a stripper. 
Yeah, and I don't want to say lower because I, I respect. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I respect everyone in their professions, but but, but see, but that's, but that's clearly not that's not true. <laughs> that's that's a lie, right I there. I just don't understand. I just I you know, I'm just mm. not the taking off my clothes for money kind of type. All right. And so you're wondering what it says about him that he is uh, that he likes girls of that type. Yeah, not only did he just like you know go hump a stripper, which I'm sure is you know has happened before, but I mean he didn't hump her; he dated a stripper for six. I months. would bet that any number of the guys you have dated have. Uh, I know who you're thinking of. I really wasn't thinking of anybody in particular. I honestly, <laughs> I was not. But I'm just guessing of the guys you have dated since you've been to Portland, because it is very much a Portland thing in some ways. I would guess, again, probably 40% of the guys you've dated have had relations with a stripper. Let's put it that way. Well, what, yeah, I can understand relations. Just like, you know, every girl in town has, you know, slept with at least one band. Wait a minute. So you're having, you have less of an issue with him sleeping with a stripper. It's that he actually had a relationship with her. I think so, yeah. Well, that's mental. That's just weird. <laughs> it is weird. I don't know what's wrong with me. It made me, it, yeah. How's but that search for a he's... new shrink going? <laughs> it's, it's going well. Uh-huh. No, but he's a, he's a really cool guy. So it went well, but that kind of threw me a little bit because I didn't expect him to say, yeah, right. my last girlfriend, you know, took all her I got all kinds of, I got all kinds of stuff. To, okay. Well, we have to, we have to do this. Take a break. We come back. Uh, we'll go over uh, the rest of these sound bites that I taped at the America's Next Top Model audition. Uh, and coming up uh, later on in the hour, Greg will give apparently Sarah and myself both. We'll both, we'll, we'll take the Yay. pretty lady quiz uh, for America's Next Top Model later on. Stay right there. More of the Rick Emerson Show in mere moments. Only on Rock 101 KUFO. Now broadcasting everywhere at all times to everyone. As a rock star, you know, I was being a rock star in the music through Lump Biscuit and the rock star. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Live from beautiful downtown Portland, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. In just a moment, we go to the news desk where Greg Nibbler is filling in for uh, Tim Riley, who is uh, suffering a uh, bit of a uh, reversal in terms of his uh, throat health day. I think he's got that allergy. See, now I'm afraid that I'm going to get it, too, because it's not like a yeah, you know, it was cold. A, it was exactly a week. It's just like a thing in the air. It's like a hay fever thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, so Tim is uh, resting his voice today. He'll be back uh, presumably tomorrow or at some point in the uh, near future. All right, we'll take a moment to remind you uh, that starting uh, as of right now, actually, as of right Right now, this very moment, uh, as of right now, this very moment, uh, you can go to KUFO.com, KUFO.com, and you're going to be able to uh, pick yourself up a pair of two-day passes to the Bymart Salute to the Troops 125 NASCAR race. Happens July 18th and 19th at PIR. Again, these are half off. It's a Saturday and Sunday two-day event. They're half off, and that means, you know, one gets you two, 25 gets you 50, etc. You go to KUFO.com to take part in the half-off sale, featuring a pair of two-day passes to the Bymart Salute to the Troops 125 NASCAR race, which you can buy again for half off at KUFO.com. Right now, though, we are going to give away a pair of those at 503-228-4101. If you're caller 10, at 503-228-4101. Be able to pick yourself up a pair of those right now, and again, you can buy them for half off at KUFO.com. All right, uh, Greg Nibbler at the news desk. So we have, I, I want to get to this story, this uh, this uh, Matt Bush story. Okay, yeah, we've got a few here. Uh, let's get to the Matt Bush. Um, a former f- number one draft pick for the San Diego Padres, Matt Bush, is set to be arranged today on a, uh, arraigned today on a drunk driving charge. He was recently out on bail for allegedly assaulting students during a high school lacrosse practice. Who, who assaults Wait, lacrosse students? I don't know. weird. Yeah, there's not, not really much explanation on this. Apparently it was a high school lacrosse practice. For some reason he was there and, uh, and assaulting them. 
And uh, But that's not even why he's of note right now. He was um, out on bail for that when he was arrested and charged with the DUI and resisting arrest, among many other charges. He basically he is Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down. That's the deal with this guy is is that he was a first-round draft pick for the Padres. He got like a $3 million signing bonus. And then he, for reasons that I kind of forget, that, he never actually played. He never played a single game. And I think now just kind of sits around and just... Uh, you know, gets arrested. And then he was beating some students at a lacrosse game, which is very bizarre. But here is the audio. I am not making this up. This is not fake. This is the audio of the guy being, quote, hogtied and then stuck in the back of a squad car by the man. Are you ready to hear uh, a, the best gro- sound ever? a grown man, an athlete, being stuck in the back of a squad car? Yes. All right. Awesome. There is no crying in baseball. Not even if you're out of baseball and you're being hogtied. One more time. It's so awesome. Wow. It, it, the only thing better is watching the video where you see him being lifted up by the cops and stuck in the back of the car. Meanwhile, where there's the... How great is that? That is magical. I'm glad you saved that. Yeah. That sounds like the kind of guy that would beat up high school students out of the cross. He really, really, really does. All right. We'll take a break. We come back. Uh, Sarah and I will be uh, given the questions that are given to the America's Next Top Model uh, auditioners. And I was at that uh, audition this last Saturday. And so we'll go through that. And uh, I'll play you the rest of the sound from the girls who are trying out. That's when we return. You stay right there. More of the Rick Emerson Show in mere moments. Only on Rock 101. KUFO. This is the Rick Emerson Show. Not only is a killer, he was trolling for homosexuality online. Listen online, live, or via podcast at KUFO.com. See, I don't think I have a way to... Uh, do you have the Howard Dean uh, sound over there? I do. Uh, let's see if I can... Uh, I don't have the sound of the. I don't have the 911 call from the guy that was getting bitten by his girlfriend. Unfortunately. Are you? Is there no Howard Dean no scream Howard to be found? Dean. No, this all got shuffled around. See, and I've got it, but I can't. But I can't, but I can't do them both at once, unfortunately. All right, this is uh, yes, the former number one draft pick uh, for the uh, for the San Diego Padres, um, Matt Bush. Being And you totally nailed it, Greg, when you said that you one look at this guy and you can tell he's just a massive douche. Just the kind of guy who just goes out and just starts trouble for no reason. And then that it goes to crying. That's how you know. That's how you know what a dick he is because it immediately he starts blubbering like an infant. Uh, uh, brings a smile to my face. Yeah, you and me both. All right. Uh, okay. So uh, on Saturday, I was at uh, Cedar Hills Crossing for the uh, the tryouts for the open casting call for uh, America's Next Top Model, and so 
what I was doing is, first of all, I should tell you this. I'll go through a couple of these notes. I'll play, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of remaining sound bites, and then you can give Sarah and I the quiz. We right. There's not really a oh, quiz, God. but it's just the stuff they ask you when you're on camera. So can I answer sarcastically, like, if I was a girl? No, 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 you, that's it, because that's cheating. You have to answer as though you were actively trying to get on the show. I think you want to, if we, I'm going to do it, that if, if you okay, get to try, make I, me I don't do know if this. I'm capable of doing that, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, a couple of things here. Most frequently heard uh, phrase, my mom says I'm really beautiful. A lot of girls <laughs> said that. One girl said, my best physical feature is my shoulders, which is odd. That's really weird. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, and so they put me, uh, I was the first guy that they saw when they came in. I was sort of just at the intake point. And the deal is, this coming uh, season of America's Next Time Model, it's 5'7 and over. you got to be at least 5'7. And there's a big black line on the wall. I mean, it's like, and there's no wiggle room there. Like, here's the black line. Like, this is 5'7. And so I'm standing there, and I've got green wristbands. And the deal is, you come in, you take off your shoes, you stand against the wall. If you're 5'7, I give you a wristband, you go to the next guy. Uh, if not, so you're the one who tells them to go away. If yes, five seven. Yes, oh my yes, God. I was. That's and so, so awesome. it really, it was, it was exactly as good as I thought it would be. So the girls would come in, and the thing is, you realize because you've seen like auditions or you know when people go into read for a movie role, and it's just such an automated cattle call. You realize why it gets that way though, because there's just a, it's a madhouse. There's just like hundreds of girls, and you re, you can't stop to just coddle everybody who thinks that they're five seven and they're really five two. Because you got no time. So it's funny how within like 30 seconds, I had it down to being like an assembly line. They would go, ladies, shoes off, please. I wish you'd see me. It really was just surreal. That sounds quite impressive. Ladies, please, shoes off one at a time. You stand against the wall. You got to be at least 5'7". If so, I'll give you a wristband. You first. You know, she comes up and I'm like, miss, please take off your shoes. Put down your bags. Stand up against the wall. Don't lean. And I'm like, and I totally just turned into a C. I just turned into a giant C. Just bossing everybody around. And so I, you know, and so the girls would stand up, and sure enough, like half of them are not five seven by like inches. And I'd say, "I'm sorry, you're not five seven. I am so five seven. And I'd say, "You're not five seven. Is here. You're right here. My doctor says I'm five nine. Your doctor is lying. Please leave. You know, the next, better luck next season. Next. Um, and then, like of those girls that I had to turn away, like a third of them would immediately then blubber. A, th- a third of them immediately would just uh, it would start. Did you record some crap? <laughs> Uh, no, well, but they, you should have secretly taped it. I didn't secretly tape the crying. You're an awful person. <laughs> uh, let's see. One girl. I didn't get this on tape either. One girl telling me. I said, um, so why do you think you could win America's Next Top Model? She goes, oh, I've really been driven hard a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there was a minuscule girl compulsively flossing her teeth at one point. Oh, and then the deal is you've got to bring a passport, driver's license. Because the deal is if you get picked, they want to know that they can immediately stick you on a plane and send you somewhere. So you got to photocopy those because you don't want to hand the originals off. A girl at one point says... Do you need a picture of the back of my passport? So, there you go. Wow. All, right, uh, <laughs> all right, Greg Nibbler. Don't you have some more sound, too? I do, but I, just, there's just, I don't know if we have any time. we got to take this, uh, we can do this thing. Let's see what else. What do I have here? I think I might have just the tiniest bit of, uh, the tiniest bit of sound. Incidentally, greatest moment, uh, Sarah, you and I both worked with a guy named Paul Halama, mm-hmm. who was one of our account executives at a certain point. So, uh, at one point, I noticed that Paul Halama was uh, speaking with one of the girls, uh, one mm-hmm. of the aspirants, one of the lucky hopefuls who'd come out. Was he giving her some tips? Uh, she, yeah, she came in and she did her little camera thing that you and I will reenact in a moment. And then she kind of gathered up her possessions and was ready to go. And I swear to God, Paul Halama just takes her hand and goes, please don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was the best thing Is he ever. single? Uh, sure. Uh, let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> or let's else see. You okay. just 
got him in trouble. I'll play this, uh, I'll play this one segment here. Uh, listen to where this goes a little sideways for me. This is interviewing a woman who auditioned for the America's Next Top Model thing. See if you can uh, spot uh, the moment that I didn't anticipate. Uh, how do you think you did on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'm hoping in 10. I think I did good because I really felt like I was myself. What do you think, um, in terms of yourself, what do you think sets you apart? Um, because I, I don't know, I'm, oh, I, I'm at a loss for words, but I guess I'm bipolar. That sets me apart from most people. <laughs> and You mean in the figurative sense or the actual clinical sense? Oh, I'm actually bipolar. <laughs> and so is that a thing that you think has helped you deal with playing through it, you know, adversity or stress, or you've learned to focus yourself? Um, well, I take pills now, but I really think that it like... It makes me a really different person because, like, I have so many emotions and feelings all at the same time. And, like, it can be really stressful and I've had anxiety attacks, but it's really helped me grow as a person, like, being able to overcome it and, like, feel more normal now. Did you have, um, did this cause a lot of anxiety for you? Actually, it didn't because, I don't know, I'm feeling good this morning. So it might just be a good day, but I feel, I feel good right now. So there you go. That was a a thing that I did not anticipate. But give me points for playing right through it, though. That was good. I told you that they want all the people with mental problems. Best line, though. I take a lot of pills now, so I'm better. (laughs) All right. Uh, So, Greg, you have uh, the sheet uh, there. And this is it's sort of camera instructions that they have the gr- things they have the girls do, and then there's the questions they ask the girls. Oh God, I'm not, I'm nervous. And these are the audition tips. So that girl Caitlin, who was in here, she had to do all this stuff, okay. and then they send all the tapes to Tyrus people, and they sort it all, you know, out. Right, and they, they have these, uh, yeah, these are the camera instructions for the cameraman here. They're actually they're hilarious. So number two, then she hands off gold clasp envelope to someone on the side and prepares to do her catwalk. We want to see full body. Once the girls, <laughs> it, it reads like a porno here. Once the girl strikes her final pose, move in a little closer with the camera to see her from the hips up. Yeah. Then have her give you a left side profile while she's pulling her hair up with the arm opposite to camera so you see her profile more clearly. And they kept doing the back of the neck. Let me see the back of your neck. Then have her turn her back to the camera for another shot. (laughs) (laughs) This time, pull the camera away to get a shot from her hips up with her backside to camera. A shot from the hips up. Get a shot of her backside. They all sound like that guy in Treading Places. Take off your clothes! Yeah. (laughs) Then have her turn and give you the front side view and shoot from the hips up. (laughs) From the hips Asked up. Yeah. All right. So, uh, shall we get to the the questions? All right. Okay. okay so, okay, these okay, are the okay. questions that the girls in America's Next Top Model had to answer on camera. Okay. So, number one, why do you think you could be America's Next Top Model? Sarah? Well, I feel with my you know diverse background, and you have lived a lot of places, met a lot of people, um, have accomplished a lot of things in my life, I really think that I'd be able to uh, bring kind of a new perspective to the house, one that hasn't been seen there before. Wow. Um... You're supposed to try. Oh, God, I'm turning into one of those women I interviewed. I'm just choking. Um, oh, right. because just I make a note right here. <laughs> you said that we're supposed to try, so you try. I'm sorry. We don't need to hear any more questions from you. You can leave. You're not 5'7". <laughs> um, because I think that... Um, I think that... I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I have nothing. I'm, just, I'm choking. Uh, and, uh, because I feel that I have a lot of experiences. I'm just ripping off Sarah's answer now. And I feel that... Um, I'm uh, sort of an unconventional beauty. <laughs> no, I've got nothing. Move on. All next right. question. All right. Follow up. Uh, what will you bring different to the show next season that the other girls have not in the past seasons? A sense of harmony, I'd say. I really do have a calming. <laughs> F you. Seriously. Just, just. I, I consider myself a you know a kind of a calming presence in the midst of the storm, and I know that things get like, pretty stressful around the house, and I want to kind of you know be a balance for all the girls there. Wow. What do I bring that other girls haven't? 
Uh, I think a lot of times um, there's a, a false sense of what America wants to see in a model. And I think there's a lot of walks of life that are underrepresented. And I feel that uh, there's some different textures to the great American tapestry and different threads in this fabric of our nation that need to be represented. 9-11. <laughs> Such as. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> when? <laughs> which girl from either season are you most similar to and different from regarding personalities? You can pick more oh, than one person. See, I can't answer this. Oh, wait, at what all. girl am I most similar to? And yeah, different or, from. And different from. Oh. Yeah, see, I got nothing. I, 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 I got nothing. Okay. All right. All right uh, what qualities do you possess that would make you a great model? Oh, uh, well, you know, I have a sparkling personality, and I feel like regardless of the clothes that I'm wearing, that kind of shines through. I have an inner glow about me. <laughs> have you, like, practiced this at home Seriously, or something? Seriously. <laughs> Taking the online quiz? You're freaking or? me out, I'm still actually. running toward becoming America's Next Top Model. <laughs> wow. Uh, what was the question? I... <laughs> what qualities do you possess that would make you a great model? Like, I turned into Michael Dukakis over here. <laughs> Uh, well, I feel like I have a really strong sense of self, and a um, I feel that I'm uh, I'm motivated, and I try to um, I try to face my fears head on and to embrace all the things that other people might find intimidating, and I think that that inner core uh, really shows through regardless of the situation. All right, uh, what? Is, <laughs> no idea. Number five. What is your best physical feature, in your opinion? Oh, I'd have to say my smile. I mean, I think it just comes down to when will I was. You, will you point at when it, I was birthed? <laughs> when I was birthed, my my parents were making the love, and they heard Sarah smile, and uh, I think that's what kind of gave me my magical smile. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I just wanted to throw you off. Thanks. <laughs> well, this is no fair. I have no. I have no physical features that are desirable as such. Why don't you talk about your milky white skin? <laughs> Stab you in the eyes. Underrepresented. Uh, I've Unkissed been, by the sunshine. I've, <laughs> I've always been told I have really pretty eyes. God, I sound like such a homely loser. Uh, I, I say that my eyes are... Uh, I've been told that my eyes are very perceptive and um, sparkly. All right. No one's really ever told me that. No. Um, okay, is there anything you would not do for the competition to win? I would never stab another contestant in the back. You know, I'm just really looking forward to being a straight shooter, making some good friends, and hopefully uh, still being in the running toward becoming America's Next Top Model. Just incidentally, there was a girl who said that they pushed on it. She said she actually would physically harm someone else. <laughs> They're like, well, she what if you had to actually... Yeah, like, what if it really came down to, like, you just had to, like, really just physically take somebody out? She's like, I could do it. I, that would be She'd fine. Know I'm, me. I'm okay with that. Um... Yes, all right, move on. Okay. All right, we got a couple left. Uh, describe your true personality. How would your friends describe you? I'd say vivacious in a word. <laughs> I mean, I really, I'm really, you know, willing to put it all out there. I'm genuinely kind and sweet and loving, and I'm just really excited for this opportunity. Making my skin crawl. Uh, I would say that people say that I have, um, uh, I'm a very um, forceful person in that I know what I believe, and I'm not uh, afraid to, uh, to speak my mind, uh, even if my voice shakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what is the craziest thing you have ever done? Oh, crazy. There was this one time when I had sex with my boyfriend in front of my parents. <laughs> okay. I can't follow that. Oh, all right. There you go. Awesome. Okay. Oh, so there you go. And here's, you know, the weird thing about it is, uh, Lara watches America's Next Up. In fact, everybody but me. I know you do, Sarah, and I Tim Riley does. I show. Tyra Banks is ridiculous. Lara watches it, but you know what? This has totally gotten me to... I'll watch it. I will absolutely watch uh, the next, uh, the oh, next cycle so when it comes through. we can start recapping it? We will, ab we will totally do that. Oh, and cool. and Lara, by the way, is watching NYC Prep, too. So um, I'm watching that as well. Yeah, and so I will be watching... And, that, and, and 
I saw the sequence where they were humping it out in the graveyard, uh, and he's How covered in dirt. How disturbing is that? So, so, and by the way, can we please? Okay. No, but can I call on you? We we have to we have to wrap it up. We're so over time, but I have to. This one final thing about True Blood. When he's not going like, can I call on you? Say it. And when he's two other things, <laughs> can we please have him quit calling her sucky? Sucky. He pronounces it sucky. Stop it. I don't know if that's like humor, if it's supposed to be wit. But her name is Suki, he's but he's a, a he's vampire. A gentleman. <laughs> yeah, he's a vampire. Sucky, I have a question for you. And I'm at home going, stop it. Um, just drives me crazy. Say it. Also, it's like he just was imported from Yugoslavia because he drops the articles when he talks and he says, this is a sequence he like stomps off because they can never be together because he goes, I am not human. I am vampire. Not a vampire. Not the vampire. I understand, Suki. I'm vampire. Suki. Suki. Okay, we have to be done. We need to stop. Let's end now. Thank you so much. We want to thank CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, as well as CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. We want to thank uh, Caitlin, who uh, is one of the, one of the uh, auditioners for America's Next Top Model, for coming in today, and Christy Turnquist from the Oregonian, and a uh, big hand to Greg Nibbler, who did a uh, yeoman's job of stepping in for Tim Riley today. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Castillon for Rock 101 KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Greg Nibbler in for Tim Riley, uh, who is uh, recovering at home. He's uh, got a little bit of a uh, vocal problem going on today. He's resting his voice. He shall return on the uh, phones and filling in his production assistant adam thompson ladies and gentlemen uh the gatekeepers dave's in the web mistress bridget from upstairs cbs radio portland marketing guru susan don't f with me reynolds executive producer christopher j paddock coming up at nine o'clock it is smells like the 90s ladies and gentlemen join us tomorrow when our guests will include don taylor from cinematical and from tmz dax holt it is monday july 13th 2009 and that is the frequency kenneth thank you for listening see y'all tomorrow bye now Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area, your daily show prep is now concluded. Thank you for listening.